Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. June 18th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. Right back at it today this morning after a show last night that went much longer than I wanted it to. Today, we are going to try to keep this under a certain time. I'm just going to let that sit as it is. Important discussions today that I wanted to follow up on. COVID-19 focus is the, the predominant part of the show today. And really just the title that it seems like that should be the title of every COVID focus of the shows we've done over the last two years. The COVID-19 vaccine narrative has utterly collapsed. And yet it still seems to drag itself forward and i shouldn't even say it like that that's how it it feels it seems to be sprinting forward with the help of everybody else around that seems to weirdly simultaneously be admitting that it didn't work at least the way that it was promised but there's a reason for that and yet it's still going forward the exact same way lockdowns mass all those things that we've proven even within their conversation aren't what we were told and that's the the truth light of it obviously it was hurting people lockdowns didn't work masks were hurting people didn't work it's not statistically significant reducing transmission as even the meta-analysis of the cdc found in 2020 which is the gold standard of evidence which they still have yet to reach even with their meta-analysis after that with far less amount of information but we pretend like that one doesn't count and the new ones during a pandemic all of these narratives are absolutely absurd absurd so today we're going to go through in the, the covid focus just the important compilation of information a lot some of a lot of which is new and some recent clips from the joe rogan rfk podcast that i do think were important regardless of your opinions about what he may or may not be the information is valid and important and i think it's important that we harp on this one of the things i'll say early and again when we get there is it's important as much as it's important to show these things it's not important and only now important because it was said on joe rogan show or because rfk said it everything they're discussing maybe save for a few points you've seen on a lot of our shows. And I, I mean, independent media, specifically The Last American Vagabond. You've seen and heard and dissected the studies themselves of the things they're referring to. But it's still important for this to get on a place like Joe Rogan to reach the people that are honest people that still just aren't able to see through the propaganda, don't really care to, but that reaches people. And we're going to go through how important these statements were and prove it with the science that goes along with it. And continue to show you the bigger picture of how not only is this hurting people, but they've known that. And as well as the people that are still these kind of creatures of the agenda that are just aggressively pushing back on anything that we're proving. And we'll go into that as well. And it's pretty embarrassing, but it's still happening. But we're going to start today with a couple of important focuses. And the fluoride trial that Derek Rose has been researching, I mean, it, it's kind of mind-blowing to me that this is not national news or international news for that matter. We're going to start with a, a you know 15-minute focus on that part and how important this really is, not just for the fluoride in water and children's IQs and just toxicity in general that we should well know by now, but because it really shows you the process of the scientific <coughs> excuse me, manipulation. And the people involved with this and whether they somehow bend this into being the right thing because of X, Y, and Z, even as they knowingly lie about things. It just, we're in a very bad way when it comes to what the, the community of the mainstream perceives or pretends to perceive as the right way, as the, the right people to listen to. It should just be, I mean, as we've said the entire time, choice and question everything kind of mentality, doing your own research. And of course, knowing that you have your own limits too. 
I don't understand all the information in every single conversation. So we reach out to a wide body of experts, not the ones that they tell us to listen to, but all of them and consider what all of them are saying and weigh the different opinions and look at the source material that they're showing. Oh my God, we're exhausted already, aren't we? But that's how they, that's, that's how they want you to think. And yeah, it can be time consuming, but isn't that important if you care about it, right? It shouldn't be that you're exhausted because you have to look through it. So let's give my child the vaccine. That means you're lazy. That means you don't really care and you're choosing comfort. It's like giving your kids ADHD medication because they seem a little hyperactive. That's pretty disgusting. But I digress. Let's start off today with a focus on a couple of censorship points. Then we'll get into an interesting point about the FBI, which I told you was going to come up yesterday into today, which you already saw, but I want to reiterate some things Derek wrote about, the fluoride point, and then the rest of the discussion today will be on the absurdity that is the COVID-19 vaccine narrative. People like Mr. Peter Hotez, who is just this disintegrating illusion of a person in front of us that is, it's really sad to watch. And, and as he's running away from this debate, now the focus shouldn't be just Hotez because that's, they really want to then reframe this as somehow that we're all ganging up on Hotez. You mean the guy that was actively screaming, we're all terrorists and trying to kill your grandma, but now we're ganging up on him by trying to prove he's wrong. Like, it's just very, very ridiculous how they frame this stuff. But it's what happens when people are desperate, desperate not to be wrong, desperate to maintain their clout that was gained through the process. All the things they pretend that the anti-vaxxers are doing, which apparently includes literally anybody that questions what's going on, because, you know, that's intelligent, right? These are very, high, very actually educated people, educated, intelligent, very different, I think that are arguing these things, high level experts, actual experts with credentials. And yet they're arguing some of the most, I mean, it's, it's just fallacies everywhere you look. Anyway, let's start off the show today with a focus on something I think is really important. Sasha Latipova. Now we've continued to point at this just because I want people to see what's really going on here because it's trapping a lot of people that I have tried to look further on this. As far as I can tell, Sasha Latipova has now been suspended on Twitter. I, that, that's wild to me of all the people. I mean, not, I shouldn't even say it. There's a lot of people that are still censored. that still never have never gotten their counts back. The point is that she was really breaking down some important information in regard to the illusion that kind of supersedes both the two party illusion and kind of the left, right paradigm of, or I mean, the same point, but the, of the, of the COVID focus, right? Elon fighting for free speech and how he's, you know, not part of the great reset direction. And the, the medical countermeasures and the illusion of the FDA. And so it was really important stuff. Now, people are critical of it, and we should be. We just question everything. But it's very strange that oddly also, all as I said here, well, first of all, Diane for Peace, the one that caught my attention with this, she said, just discovered the account's been suspended. She's a beautiful person and a fighter for good causes who shares her wealth of knowledge with anyone who is hungry to know more. And Taylor Hudak had a great interview with her. On that note, I actually forgot to grab that. You guys, make sure you watch this. It's really she breaks it down really well. And on the note, also Taylor is going to be coming out very soon with her upcoming interview with the late Professor Anna Burkhardt. The last interview he did before he passed away. It's going to be an important one, guys. But she's saying that that she was recently censored, and as, as far as I can tell, that's the case. Censored on the free speech Twitter. And that noise you don't hear—that's the deafening silence of the blind two-party illusion followers that aren't saying anything about it. Hey, remember those Twitter files? How'd that all work out for us, guys? I, I mean, I'm really, people may get irritated that I feel like I'm harping on that point, but I don't think people truly really have come to understand how much of a psyop this was. It's still playing out. Oh, yeah, and this is the interview you guys can check out for yourselves. Now, I also want to show this just because as they're censoring people like Sasha Latipova and lots of other people on 
Twitter and, you know, Matt Taibbi's the one telling us right now. He's actively being censored on Twitter right now. Think about quickly that turned around. The people they want you to listen to can barely speak in straight sentences. I mean, I feel re- I'll just read what I wrote here. I, f- I actually feel I, I'm not saying I, I trust or, you know, I don't I don't really know much about Fetterman, to be quite honest. That, and that that's I would never do a in-grip report on things he was if I'm, and I would do my due diligence as always. But there's so much going on. I can't research everything. My point is, I don't know an entire lot about his background. That's simply saying me saying this is not to somehow undermine that he could have. some. my point is that just no matter what that background is, I find it hard to believe that somebody who can't say a straight sentence, who can't string things together is able to somehow mastermind some kind of nefarious plan. OK, my point is, I feel really bad for this person, regardless of what you think about him. He is being used. Fetterman is being used. And it's embarrassing that some people are somehow unable to acknowledge how bad this is with him and Biden, by the way. Or I guess some people, I guess. No, I, I'm not going to say that. There's nobody that can't see this. People that are unable to acknowledge how bad this really is. That really highlights how lost they are in the two party illusion. Their willingness to be dishonest about things that are in team sport politics. And I, I just wrote, I do not feel this is the majority today that are buying all of this, pretending that it's not happening. Yet those pushing the two-party politics, the ones seemingly driving this dead machine of a, of a political agenda, the whole two-party illusion, dragging it through the corpse that is the two-party illusion. These are the people at the top of the conversation on the Twitter, you know, the basobics of the world and the, you know, the left-right commentators that are screaming the two-party talking points. And we get convinced that that's the whole conversation. And I really aggressively don't think that's the majority, not even close today. And I'll make some points as we go through. But they are desperate to keep you thinking that because, you know, there's a lot of reasons why. But the overall point is that the true agenda is putting people like this in front of you. As some part of this, part of the illusion is going to say, this guy is like some of the things we're saying. He can't think and he's not, you shouldn't be there. They put him in there for a certain reason. Other side says it's not happening at all and you don't know what you're talking about. He's a great guy fighting freedom. The point is that's a false conversation, right? So they want you to pick a side when in reality, there's much more going on in the middle as always. But this is obvious, guys. It's like uh, Tucker just pointed this out on his one of his monologues about the North Korean leader with the with the tumor on his head, right? I mean, that's a good point. That is the kind of world we live in, and it's not just unique to some perceived dictatorship. <laughs> it is happening right now. We're not supposed to point this out. Now, I'm standing next to the president, again, next to a, a collapsed bridge here, and he is here to commit to work with the, the governor and the, the, the delegation to make sure that we get this fixed quick, fast as well, too. This is a president that is committed to infrastructure, yeah, and then on top of that, uh, the, the jewel uh, kind of a uh, uh, law of the inflation uh, bill that is going to make sure that there's going to be bridges all across like this, all across the America getting rebuilt. I mean, guys, I mean, I really like I, you know, part of me wants to be like, I just feel bad. Like, I feel true. It makes me so sad to watch that that nobody seems to say anything, that they keep trotting this person out and forcing him into a position where they know he won't even be... The guy can't even say five words in a row without stumbling on something, and we should feel bad about that. It's, I mean, I don't know the entire background, but I know he had a stroke, so you can't say it's entirely his fault. As much as I've said in the past, I just personally think that I don't think he's that intelligent of a person before or at the... That's just my personal opinion. But 
the stroke part of this obviously plays a factor. So why do they keep pushing him in your face? And somebody makes a good point in the chat. Make maybe make, make Biden look better. Certainly possible, but I really don't think that's the case. I, I don't I don't really know if it's that they're ta- they're kind of flaunting that they, I don't know. That's what somebody in my circle will tell me. Oh, they're flaunting that they can get away with it. I don't believe that. I mean, I guess anything could possibly be the case, but my God, the point is we're just supposed to pretend it's not there, right? We're supposed to pretend that these things that are happening are totally normal and climate change is exactly what they say it is. And East Palestine's completely safe and there's no neo-Nazis over there. And this guy is a leader of America. That's what we're living through, guys. And I, it, I possibly the engineered collapse kind of situation. But decide for yourselves. But the bottom line is as they censor people like Sasha Latipova and the entire community on the right ignores that. Or I shouldn't say it like that. But a lot of people in the two-party paradigm on Twitter pretend like it's not happening. There's a big problem there. Now, one thing, I, th- I forget what I was going to say about this. I think I have this in the wrong spot. We'll come back to it. Well, anyway, I just had a great a show yesterday. Oh, well, I think that was the overall point that I'm going to follow up today with the stuff we didn't get to yesterday. Trans movement makes thought crime reality. That's where this is going. And that's not every trans person. It's the movement and the politicized, rabid, militant concept that it is today and ushers in new flavor of authoritarian control. That's where all this seems to be going. And that's exactly what seems to be happening on another edge of the same agenda. Now, these to me are two angles of the same kind of it's we you got to start seeing this as kind of a larger nebulous agenda where not everything all the time is in the same direction. But there's lots of moving parts to these things. That's not that may even sound like conspiracy theory to somebody who just like ignores the fact that powerful people are always trying to vie for more power. Oh, my God. Conspiracy. I just think about how naive and childish that is. But the point is, really think about this and see so there like just remove the concept of conspiracy theory or the agenda. The idea that they're telling you that there's a rising white supremacy threat, right? Right wings and tr- lone shooters. That's not the narrative. That's not conspiracy. They're telling you that that's not true, in my opinion. But the point is that they're on one side of this using or let's, again, to remove the theory about it. On one side of this, you've got the transgender movement, and they're telling you that you're not allowed to misgender people. You're not allowed to even think this. That's what we went over yesterday in the show, that they're starting to break this down to the point. They were like, look, you're not, you're not allowed to have these ideas in the 21st century or whatever they're saying. That's a real quote from one of these leading people in the movement. So it's going past the point of saying you have to not say them out loud to the point to where we will seek you out. And if we feel like you're wink, wink, trying to say something, we're going to come after you and pretend that that's what you meant, even if sometimes that traps people that didn't mean it at all. We don't care because we can't have ideas like that. It's thought crime. That's where we are today. So on one side of this, you have the transgender movement and authoritarian control. On the other side of it, you got people that are being called right wing terrorists and Nazis and and how it's the same idea. Well, you're not allowed to have certain ideas. You cannot wear a red hat because that leads to you being X, Y and Z. So, again, thought crime, ideological crime, same kind of overlap. Then you'll find out that we're going to get into in a moment a story where suddenly Nazis are Fighting LGBTQs. <laughs> Who didn't see that coming? It, this is the same three. Patriot Front marching against the trans community. I mean, sure, there's all sorts of disagreements in this com- on all sides of these conversations, but this seems really clumsy. We'll come back to that in one second. So let's come back to this FBI entrapment story. Derek just put an article up today. The FBI and the Intercept's the one that broke this story. This came out a couple days ago, I think. The FBI's entrapment of Americans continues with latest arrest of an 18-year-old with developmental issues. Now, you guys will not be surprised by this if you followed previous work. This originally was on the Free Thought Project, a site you should check out. Matt Agarist and the rest of them doing a great job over there. 
Parents catch FBI and plot to force mentally ill son to be a right-wing terrorist. Now, we've gone over this multiple times in the show. It's really a mind-blowing story from 2018 that you should check out. It's absolutely mind-blowing. Now, for interest of time, I'm going to go over the new story. But it's exactly the same concept. The way that they entrap this kid. The kid that can barely do things without his parents. Who lives with his parents. Who tried to give him everything. Who tried to force him over years to buy things and, and get things in order. And they, constantly the kid's going, I don't know. I, I, don't want, I don't know if this is okay. Does that sound like a terrorist? Does it sound like somebody who, or somebody who's desperate for friends? Who is vulnerable? Who is bullied his whole life? And is just trying to be, you know, just trying to do what they can to make the kind of emotional connection that they can't get anywhere else because their life has been this way. Derek makes a great point about this in the article about how the FBI seems to focus on people like this and use them. Now, you may still argue that is what they, they he might have been a terrorist anyway. Well, then you sound like a statist to me, where the idea is that your rights are secondary to the possibility that you may be a th ambiguous threat to something in the future. That kind of sounds like preemptive self-defense, doesn't it? And now we're right back to foreign policy all over again. Bethlehem Doctrine on U.S. citizens. That'll be missed for some people. But anyway, let's go forward. Matteo Ventura. Now, again, I, re I really argue you should read this article because it'll blow your mind. But let's start with the newer story. Matteo Ventura, an 18-year-old resident of Wakefield, Massachusetts, has been arrested and charged with knowingly concealing the source of material support or resources for a foreign terrorist organization. So it's an interesting way to frame it. The knowingly concealing part is blatant. Well, all of this is blatantly false. But the idea that they're the, the crux of the argument is that he is knowingly hiding this kind of action. Now, we're going to get into where they were telling him, don't tell anybody. Don't you show anybody. Now, you could argue that he probably should have known that sending things to what he, I guess, perceived as ISIS or organizational people involved with the organization probably is not OK. It's obviously against the law. This, this kid has developmental issues who is desperate for friends. And the real point comes in where we should ask whether or not with what we do know that clearly shows the FBI was spending years to try to cultivate this child that has no connection to anything other than them setting it up. And try. And my point is, what else did they say or do or, or lie to him about to get this to take, take place? That's not contentious. We'll prove some of those things in this very discussion. So maybe... He didn't realize he was even doing that. I just want to throw it out there right out of the gate. Maybe he thought he was setting it to something other than ISIS. <laughs> You'll see what I mean. The Department of, of Justice is now accusing this 18-year-old kid, who was 16 when this started, of, prove, of providing financial support to ISIS to the tune of just over $1,000 over three years. Guys, funding terrorism. Here's what it says. The Intercept notes, as the DOJ's own criminal complaint indicates, according to the Intercept, that Ventura never funded ISIS. Let me say that again. Their own information shows very clearly that never happened. And I'll explain that. Or any other terror group. And this is how all of these stories tend to go. The only contact Ventura made was actually an undercover FBI agent who posed as a terrorist and befriended a 16-year-old child with mentally, with developmental issues, as proven by the tort and the doctor. So you get approached as a lonely kid living with your parents by some person online who spends years becoming your friend and then spends years creating a narrative to get you to feel like you have some sympathy for this person. At what point do we start to realize this has nothing to do with stopping terrorism? The agent subsequently convinced Ventura, a child at the time, to send him gift cards as donations 
to the alleged terror group. Now, right there, I would like to find out more extensively whether or not the kid was fully aware that what he was doing was sending it to ISIS. Or there was some kind of obfuscation of that fact to where this kid with developmental issues maybe didn't put one and two together. Or one and one together. I mean, really think about that. And they would be like, well, you should know that this group means this. And like, I just, that's just my personal thought. But as you can see, there's already a lot of ways they were sidestepping what seems to be considered, you know, the right way to do things. So I just wonder whether this was the kind of thing that was happening. We have examples of this in the past. He also instructed the young man to tell, not to tell anybody about their online communications. Okay. So back to your first point of knowingly concealing. That's what he was instructed to do. Now, yes, you could argue he was instructed to do so, but what he thought was some kind of leader on a foreign group. Does that really change anything when none of this is real and it's FBI saying, don't tell anybody, and then they charge them for not telling anybody? Paul Ventura told The Intercept that his son suffered from childhood developmental issues and left school after he was bullied by other students. And, and this gets into information about what was really going on to him. He, he, he was bo- it says he was born prematurely. He had brain developmental issues, had the school do a neurosurgery evaluation on him, and they said his brain was underdeveloped. He was suffering endless bullying at school. Kids were taking food off his plate, tripping him in the hallway, humiliating him, laughing at him. This kid is vulnerable, desperate for friends. And that seems to be what they hone in on. Because apparently that's the largest leading terror threat in the country, right? Desperate, developmentally ill children who are desperate for friends. Gift cards in increments of $25. That's what he was sending. Over a period of two different of two years, he used his gaming platforms. So you know this is something that they use. Steam, PlayStation Network, Google Play. Altogether, he sent $965 as a minor. $705 after he turned 18. In the interaction between 16-year-old Ventura and the FBI, it began in 2021 after they paid a visit to his family, warning that his, his father that he was looking up dangerous websites. Right. So is it a crime to look at websites they don't like? And if those websites are illegal, which they're not, is the point, why were they on the online? All right. So what they're really saying is you're doing things that are completely within the law, that we think are suspicious. Okay. At what point do we realize that we're getting into pre-crime here? Now, look, you can argue, I mean, there's all sorts of crazy websites online. You can find all sorts of KKK racist stuff. You can find all sorts of pro everything. A lot of which you'll find out are actually U.S. government's honeypots or fake things to trap you. So, so it's what's real and what's not. Now, again, none of this is to try to undermine the idea that there are people out there that might actually do carry out terrorist attacks that might be real threats but when you realize that the industry is focusing predominantly its efforts on creating these problems this is what many people in the past have realized like the new york times but when maybe when they're slightly honest <laughs> i don't even believe that when they realized that this was actually causing them to miss the real criminals that was years ago guess what only got worse it's like every other topic we can show you oh the accident is dangerous it only got worse. They don't talk about it. Oh, PFAS is everywhere. Only got worse. Nobody talks about it. Oh, my God. Glyphosate. Oh, nobody talks about it. It's everything. They don't care about you. The interaction between them began in 2021. It says that in August 2021, an FBI agent starting communication with him online. The FBI alleges. 
Uh, the FBI alleges that Ventura was interested in basically what translates to a migration towards territories controlled by ISIS. The FBI agent spoke in broken English, but pretending to be a member of ISIS. At one point, telling this lonely, desperate kid, you look strong. You look like a lion. And this kid probably never got things like that from his other than his parents. And he suddenly feels vindicated. Maybe I should keep doing this. This feels right. You see what I'm saying? Like this is these are people that are vulnerable. Same thing that's happening to the, a lot of people in the trans community or that are being told that they're in trans community. The Intercept notes that in September 2022, 17 year old, still a minor, Ventura told the agent that he could no longer go on the trip that they were trying to convince him to go on for over a year because he had been hurt very badly. Turns out their own investigation found out that he had made it up entirely. So at what point did then go, this guy wouldn't do this unless we forced him to? Apparently, it doesn't matter. Well, we've already got a year and a half invested. Let's keep pushing. Meanwhile, real problems are happening all over the place. Real terrorism happening on your foreign policy all over the world. Oh, I guess they don't care about that version of terrorism. But the point is that they miss everything while focusing on somebody who wouldn't otherwise be a problem. Or at least that's possible. The argument being that we not live in a world of pre-crime. Don't you have rights? At what point do they violate those rights by forcing you or tricking you into doing That's called entrapment. April 10th of 2023, he ended up booking a flight to Egypt. Again, after aggressive, continual follow-up. All the way in 2023, by the way. So three years. Took all this time. He finally reached back out and was like, I am sorry I haven't been communicating. Thinks this guy is his friend. But they got him to get a trip to Egypt. However, instead of taking that flight, guess what he did? This is the craziest part. He calls the FBI. This 18, or at this point, he would have been 18, 17, or 18, calls the FBI, the Threat Operations Center, and tried to turn in the ISIS member. Oh, but it was actually an undercover FBI agent, right? Ventura spoke erratically, they claimed, demanding the FBI pay him millions of dollars for his related information. So all of that said before, he then tries to do what they would argue is the right thing. Guess what they did? Quickly arrested him before they could get that. Like, this has happened so many times. There's the example I've done in the past where there was a guy that was being tricked into using toy cars at a, at a, pro, at a, at a rally or is like a, um, a parade and put bombs in them. It was one on for a year. The guy finally said, you know, no, I'm not going to do it. Then they arrest him and charge him for the crime anyway because he was going to do it. Well, he said no and didn't ultimately do it. So just because he, like, this is my point. The larger point of thought crime. Now, many people may not agree with this because they think, well, he, he wouldn't have even gotten close. Well, we don't know that, do we? Because we don't know how crazy and aggressive these people are. And the history has shown that the FBI does exactly that. So isn't that interesting? They continually create the crime they claim to stop. Even though we tried to turn them in, maybe that was his whole plan. Maybe the, he was setting them up. Maybe he was trying to trap them because he was bored or because he had nothing else to do. And the moment he tried to turn him in, you guys arrested him anyway. He's being held under suspicion of being a terrorist right now. His father is claiming he's being railroaded, which is quite obvious. Mateo, Mateo Ventura was dealing with bullying and mental health issues. He did not have the, and this is the important part. This matters in a real investigation, a real investigation. He did not have the means to join ISIS, even a contact with anyone in the group, any terrorist group. So at what point did you think this was even viable without FBI assistance? 
As we have seen time and time again, the FBI manipulates vulnerable individuals and walks them into fake scenarios which they can label as terrorism. Now, just like we saw with January 6th, that becomes another reported investigation of terrorism, which then makes the stats look bigger, even though they created this. While the media reports another win for the now domestic war on terror. He writes, it's worth noting that this practice has been happening for years. In fact, only a decade ago, mainstream media outlets acknowledged the controversy surrounding the FBI tactics. A decade later, these tactics appear to be accepted or ignored. That's how this stuff goes. These in, these corporate media outlets come out and go, this is bad. And we go, yeah. And then nothing changes. So they go, well, you knew about it. You guys let it happen. You voted anyway that year. Right? That's how this works, guys. And we this is how you get the screamers and the two-party illusion who act like you're doing something wrong by not consenting to the broken system. Or the idea that whether you vote or not, realizing that they will seed these things so they goes forward, acting like you somehow are tacitly tacitly consenting to it. In 2012, the Rolling Stone wrote a piece entitled How FBI Entrapment is Inventing Terrorists and Letting Bad Guys Off the Hook. Questioning the motives of the FBI. The same year, and we've reported on this one many times, the New York, New York Times reported the terrorist plots hatched by the FBI. That's the title of their article. It says, is this legal? Oh, this is legal, but is it legitimate? I question whether it's legal. Without the FBI, would the culprits commit violence on their own? Is cultivating potential terrorists the best use of the manpower designed to find the real ones? Even they are arguing they're not even the real point. Judging by their official answers, the FBI and the Justice Department are sure of themselves. Too sure, perhaps. You see my point? I don't know, I don't know whether those people were real and what they were saying or not. But the point is that it never stopped, only got more powerful. Where are these writers now? Where's the Rolling Stone? Where's the New York Times? This, this would be a huge story to continue on this and go, they're still doing this. Nope, because I argue it wasn't the point to stop it. The article details the way entrapment efforts disguised as counterterrorism usually start with an individual making comments to friends or online postings before being approached by an informant who encourages them to take their speech to the next level. Now, we know as well as anybody, guys, that people say things online they don't mean. People say a bunch of hype. They want to look like they're cool. They want to look crazy. They want to shock people. I've known all types of my life. Why don't we pretend that exists here? That maybe somebody just wants to sound crazy. Maybe they just want to see how you'll respond. Maybe they're just trying to trap you. The point is none of this matters. It doesn't matter at all. It's about getting what they want out of it. So your speech, which is always protected, despite what they're telling you, in anything. That's the reality. See, even this is the crazy part. You have to realize that there's lines that have been drawn around this where they say, well, you can't threaten. You can't do this. Well, you, there's an argument made there. Now, I, too, would argue that saying I'm going to bomb your home, that shouldn't be allowed. In the sense of, you know, like in the sense of a crime. Allowed is a wrong word there. Obviously, you can say whatever you want. But as a person who is being threatened with some kind of violence in the society we live in today, we've argued that's somehow against the law. But is it, though? Again, personal opinion, I would say, well, I think that's not acceptable. But free speech. You see how this becomes a very difficult line, but this is where they want you to run away from. They want you to go, whoa, I don't want to be accused of being a domestic terrorist. Well, we're not afraid of that because we're not. I've never advocated for violence and it never would ever because it's crazy. It's absolutely the wrong path. Bi violence begets violence. But to point out that somebody who has never committed a crime, who's simply saying a lot of things, is not actually a criminal, is somehow contentious? It's scary, guys. It's scary. Now, of course, they, they use the extreme examples to drive us into 
equivocating and going, well, we can't allow that in a civilized society. The problem is that that's been used desperately to drive us into a situation where we're no longer in a civilized society, where we're in a controlled authoritarian society, which was always the point. Since 9-11, these types of stings have become commonplace, so much so that they are in America today merely discussing the possibility of violence with an informant can warrant an arrest, and that's the point. Recorded conversations show, contrary to the claims by the Justice Department, that suspects are not always warned about the consequences, which is necessary, of their actions, and are, in fact, sometimes told by their informants to continue their efforts. One, He lists off of many cases. We remember the Chicago Five, the Christmas tree bomber. Every one of these cases where, where people didn't, like it, this, the one of the, the um, Cleveland Five, excuse me, is important. Because in one case, one of the people actually said on the record, it's actually harder to be nonviolent than it is to do stuff like that. Pushing back, saying, no, 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 we don't need to do that. But the group was eventually coerced and driven into doing something, not actually doing committing a crime, but purchasing explosives. And of course, right there, plenty of average people are going to go, oh, too late, you did it. You Well, okay, is it a crime to buy explosives? In some places, yes. In some kinds, yes. The bottom line is that would it have happened if they hadn't been coerced into doing so by the FBI. That matters, regardless of how much you think their actions indicate criminal activity. One of these cases is absolutely mind-blowing, and this is from the uh, Counterpunch from 2013, wrote, and this is specifically of, his name was, uh, it was a Somali-American, Muhammad Mahamud. Uh, uh, how would you say that? Muhammad Mohammed. This was a Christmas tree lighting in Oregon. Here's what they reported. Almost nothing about the scenario was true. The cell phone wasn't connected to the toggle switch. The detonation cards weren't wired to an explosive device. The blue drums weren't filled with diesel-saturated fertilizer, but harmless grass seed. Muhammad wasn't a member of Al-Qaeda. Of Somali origin, he was a troubled colleague drop, college dropout of Beaverton, Oregon, home of Nike. Yusuf wasn't a member of Al-Qaeda. Hussein was not a member of Al-Qaeda's top bombmakers. Hussein, Yosef and Hussein were not really arrested, and neither was charged with being part of a terrorist plot. Yusuf, Yusuf and Hussein were both federal agents. So literally, the entire story was fake. He got 30 years in prison after he ended up not doing it. Think about that. Shouldn't it matter that eventually he was like, man, this is wrong. I'm not going to do it. I take it back. Never mind. No, because you're being charged for your ideological crime. You can't think these things. You can't talk about it. Well, yeah, you can actually. But see, there's where the problem becomes. I would also think, investigate, sure. As an, as a, as a, as a, as an investigator, FBI, police. If somebody goes, I'm going to do something, and, you, and says, I'm going to bomb something. Well, yeah, investigate. But you cannot charge somebody with a crime who has not committed a crime. But that's where these things come in. Well, they go, well, let's push him to do it. But also, there's a problem. We can even look at more recent cases, Derek writes, of claimed domestic terrorism, like the alleged attempted kidnapping of Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Whitmer was a complete false flag, which we've all proven. It's not hard to prove. But yet, the corporate media pretends it's not happening. It was only a matter of time before word got out that the FBI was up to its usual tactics, using criminal informants to attempt to create terrorism. The reality is that the U.S. government, in an attempt to justify the bloated war of terror budget and satisfy the military-industrial complex, has perfected the use of counter-terror strategies. These strategies include infiltration, division, distraction, and entrapment of isolated individuals who otherwise would likely never pose a real threat. That, guys, is radicalization. 
If you want an example of how people are being radicalized, you need to look no further than right here. Your government and the corporate media are radicalizing people everywhere. The U.S. government sees its own people as a potential enemies because the Uniparty, the left-right illusion, is determined to erase individual liberty in their quest for complete to techn technocratic control. They will use any means, pandemics, terrorism, otherworldly threats, or climate changes to keep the people in a state of perpetual fear while they strip away their freedom. Very, very clear to me. Now, again, if you, sh you should read this story from 2018 to realize this has happened before. In this case, the parents caught them. Caught them in the act of trying to set up their son who barely is able to function without the parents. Think about how crazy that is. Now, had they not stepped in, this kid would be in prison right now. Now, the next part is very important. The fluoride info war Derek recently wrote about. Newly released emails show California dental director alter study to remove negative conclusions. Very important. This should be international news because of how obvious this person is on the record telling you his job as a dentist is to promote fluoridation. His job is to undermine this information. He even says that at one point, his whole point is to basically, I forget the word they use, but to cap, to preempt. That's what he said. The study that they already know is ready to come out. So what it shows you is an effort to behind the scenes, cobble together some kind of science uh, uh, dispute or uh, some kind of scientific study to use against the report they're holding back. The report that's been ready for three years that tells you, which we've now proven, that, toxic, that fluoride is toxic, that is hurting people, that is lowering children IQs. So they go, pause, hold on. And in the background, as we just found out, they're over here going, quick, quick, how do we put this together? How to make this look like this? And how do we, oh, and they find out, oh, that shows that's a problem. Well, let's alter the study findings so we can make it look like it's not. That's real. Caught. This applies to every aspect of the scientific manipulation we're experiencing today. So let's go now to Derek for an update on this very important story. Welcome, Derek. Give us the recent updates on the fluoride trial and the recent developments with the emails, which I'm really, I really hope people will focus more on because I think it's one of the biggest developments so far in what we've seen. You're, uh, you're muted, brother. Okay, it is 9 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the emails that we're talking about today, it's really just the continuation of the fluoride trial that's been going on since 2020 that we've been covering. And as I think we reported on the show, and I know I reported in a recent article, the trial is going to pick back up in January 2024. So there's just kind of procedural hearings going on, and that includes the Fluoride Action Network attorneys, Michael Conant. He filed some more open records requests, as we covered in previous interviews, where they filed uh, open records requests, FOIA requests with the CDC, HHS, and other departments. And that's where we found out that uh, Assistant Health Secretary Rachel Levine is the one who, or at least the emails claim, blocked the release of this NTP report that found that fluoride does cause lower IQ in children. And, you know, so that was been controversial all on its own. Unfortunately, that hasn't even got enough attention. Mm -hmm. Now we have a, a new set of emails, and this relates to uh, the California state dental director. His name's Dr. Jayath Kumar. And again, Fluoride Action Network, Michael Conant, they filed public records requests in California to try to get emails 
from this doctor, specifically relating to a study that came out just in the last two years, which found the exact opposite, as we've been saying, it found that there is no association between fluoride and lower IQ in children. And this study, of course, just happened to come out while we were waiting for new information during the fluoride trial. And at the recent hearings we covered, where the judge did set uh, the trial date for 2024, this specific study, authored in part by Dr. Jayant Kumar, who again is California State Dental Director, this study was used by the EPA and the government to say, hey, look, there's new information we have, and this new information doesn't conclude what the plaintiffs are arguing. So, you know, I just want to set that stage before we show you the background of this study, because again, the government is using this specific study by this specific doctor from, or den, uh, dentist from California to say, pay no attention to those previous studies that we've discussed in this case. Let's pay attention to this 2021 study because it finds that there is no association between fluoride and, and um, lower IQ in children. One quick so point. Because, oh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, finish your thought. I was going to say, because of that, that's why, why these uh, open records requests were filed, because this study and this doctor are relevant to the overall trial. Yeah, and it's just it's it's very frustrating. I mean, obviously, new information should be considered. No one should disregard that. But what and I said, it's not really new. It's 2021. But what's interesting, though, is this is the same thing we see as our audience will be well, well aware of during COVID-19 or, you know, masks are a great example where we have the what is considered the top of the pyramid of empirical evidence, whether, you know, expert opinions actually being the lowest level. People don't realize that systematic review of peer reviewed science and random controlled trials in 2020. The CDC did their own meta analysis and all these random of all these studies finding it was not statistically significant reducing transmission and then a new observational study came out and that's what everybody in the scientific community somehow managed to point at and it just it's it's frustrating and we should be skeptical about why this is being pointed at after the fact and i think as your work has shown the what has already been done with the ntp and these reports and fan this has been years, four years if i remember correctly in the work it's not just one study so now again they're going ignore the work that's been going on for four years and the multiple studies and focus on this one we want you to look at. I don't know how anybody wouldn't exactly. see that as at least somehow dis slightly dishonest. I think that's important. It is important. And like you said, I mean, obviously science does get updated. So when new information comes out, we should look at it and say, okay, how does this fit into what we've already known? But this is why I think this story is so important because on the surface, like you said, you get, okay, a new piece of information. And let's imagine you're just a normie mainstream person who kind of vaguely knows about this topic. And you heard, oh, I heard there was some studies in the last couple of years claiming there's problems with fluoride. Oh, but now there's a newer study that they're referencing. And that newer study it says the opposite. So then maybe one might kind of just make the uh, naively make the assumption, oh, the newer study must have had better science and more mm. information and more data because it's new, right? Uh, but that is not the case. And, and this is why these emails are so important, because once again, we're getting a behind the scenes look at uh, what goes on to shape a particular. And this is, again, a peer reviewed published study that came out from Dr. Uh, Kumar. And again, it found the exact opposite of what we've been reporting and what the NTP has been showing. So that's why it's important. So let's get into a little bit of the details of what these emails showed. Mm -hmm. For one, the main thing is the emails make it clear. And as the Fluoride Action Network says that Kumar is not some sort of independent voice who's just studying fluoride safety because he's curious about the topic or has some kind of scientific or, you know, dental interest. Clearly, he's a, the California State Dental Director. He's tied to the American Dental Association, like mo pe most people in that position are. And the American Dental Association and other organizations have for decades, 70 years now, said that water fluoridation is safe and it's one of the greatest achievements of the 20th century. 
but in the emails, Kumar admits that his, and this is his word, that his, quote, job is to promote fluoridation and that he is, quote, literally being paid to promote fluoridation. So right off the bat, that doesn't sound very impartial or unbiased. And then even before the study was begun, he told some of his colleagues in the emails that his job was to, quote, preempt the NTP. So this is not my own speculation that, oh, maybe this new study was done to try to counter the Florida Action Network. He says it his own words. And then again, during the proceedings, we saw the U.S. government, the EPA, argue that this study should be referenced by the judge instead of the previous study. So it, we can tell there had to be some collusion. Now, these emails don't show Mr. Kumar directly communicating with the EPA's attorneys or anything of that sort. But in his own words, he's saying that he's trying to preempt the NTP. And he said that there was urgency to this task. So he's very seemed to be very well aware in these emails, which were just from last year, 2022, that um, that he, you know, that he needed to get this study out as soon as possible so that it could be used in this trial. So I think that's one important point. Another point here is that the emails show that uh, the study was rejected four different times before it was eventually accepted, which, again, sometimes studies get rejected as they become better, and, you know, that can be science. So that on its own, I don't think is it, you know, is it, should discount it from being valuable, but it is noteworthy, especially when you have the person himself saying that he's trying to preempt another study and his job is to promote fluoridation and there's an urgency to the task. One peer reviewer, the emails show, labeled this study superficial, unbalanced, and misleading, and even said that the study had misinformation in it and, quote, would fuel more controversy rather than stimulate, stimulate prudent science-based decisions. So those are just some of the background conversations happening. And that's what I think is important, as well as the emails we, ha we previously had with the NTP study, where you can actually see the peer reviewers' comments, because that gives us, the average people, a peek into a world that we normally have no access to, right? We're just assumed people are told, oh, this study was peer reviewed, so that's supposed to mean something. But you don't really see the conversations that led to it getting there. And we can assume or we're told, well, the conversations that lead to it getting published are all in the name of science and getting to the best information. Clearly, that's not always the case. Mm -hmm. And we saw this during COVID-19. I think I think the average person to, exactly. to the to the you know frustration of the corporate media and the government are very aware that something's amiss with this. And it doesn't see is a varying opinions about whether that's you know, some large agenda or just profiteering or just incompetence. Right. But all of those things are playing a factor. And I think there's just a lot of people that just have been trained not to care if they're told from the higher ups, this is how it's supposed to go. What's most compelling to me is that this is a guy on the record. I mean, this is the, like, if, if we're going to level conflicts of interest, this is like number one, you cannot hold a position where your entire job is to like, it, he says it himself. If you're, if you're preempting the stuff, that's not science. That's 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 weaponized science. You're trying to find something to counteract what they're saying. So you've one that's confirmation bias, assuming there's even honesty involved here. But the point is, if he himself is saying his job is to preempt this, then as you as we as you discussed in the article, the point is that he will overlook things that are bad and then and and promote things that are actually not entirely accurate if it makes that. And as he said, his job is to promote fluoridation. I mean, th this is, this is a big deal. This should be bigger news right now. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, so we'll go a little further here. Mm -hmm. They're doing, and this I think is another important point, and it does have so many correlations with COVID-19 and with other similar topics like that, because it shows us that these people, scientists, alleged you know, scientists, I don't even know if these people deserve this title here in, in this case, um, 
can use computer models and statistics to try to frame a conclusion. And in this case, if the models that they have don't fit the conclusion, well, they'll just remove the models completely. And that's mm -hmm. what's happened in this case. So there's an email between uh, Kumar and his biostatistician uh, for the study and from March 5th, 2022, where the statistician reports to Kumar says that the results are the opposite of what we hoped for. And in response to this, the statistician suggests to him that they can try different models to see if they might reach different results. And he says, quote, although hard, we can test more models to try to identify a threshold that can lead to a non-significant fluctuation in IQ before the threshold. And what he means by that is there's going to be a non-significant fluctuation in IQ before the safety level, right? So here's the safe level that they say fluoride is safe amount in the water. So non-significant fluctuation, which still we should know is still a, a fluctuation right. in IQ, but he's just claiming, oh, it's non-significant. And then after that threshold level where they claim it's safe, a significant drop in IQ. And what this means is simply he's trying to say, okay, well, let's just fudge the numbers a little bit so that the drop in IQ comes after the levels that we claim are safe and not before. And that's exactly what they ended up doing. And then they tried to present this study. So once that's this, a lie, this, that's, that's it's, dishonest. It's, it's using models and it's using science, quote unquote, to try to reach conclusions. So once they did that, though, and, and then they eventually decided, you know what, it's not going to work. Like, let's just take the whole meta-analysis uh, reference out of there. They came to this conclusion. These meta-analyses show that fluoride exposure relevant to community water fluoridation is not associated with lower IQ scores in children. And then this study, I mean, this uh, paper did get accepted and it was published in pediatrics and then was promoted by the American Dental Association as a basis for why the uh, NTP should postpone its report. So again, you can see how we don't have the emails specifically showing Kumar communicating with the NTP or the ADA or any of that at the moment, but it's clear that as soon as this study came out, the ADA steps in and is like, hey, this is why we should ignore the NTP's conclusion, and they're trying to uh, get uh, Director Wojciech, uh, Richard Wojciech of the NTP to delay the release of the, the NTP draft report. So for those who don't know kind of on that background, this draft report's been going on for years now. We finally got to a point in the last six months where the draft reports from 2022, May and September were released, and we've reported that on this show. And those conclusions in those draft reports specifically say that fluoride does cause lower IQ in children and has a number of different other problems, but that's still just the draft report. So the final report hasn't come out. And just in the last couple of months, we had uh, the Board of Scientific Counselors vote unanimously that the report should be released, but now it is in the hands of the NTP director, Richard Wojcik. He's the one who gets to decide whether or not this comes out. And as I remind people in this article, we have a previous court declaration where Wojcik himself claimed responsibility for blocking the release of this NTP uh, monograph. So. The, the man himself, whether it was uh, Rachel Levine or Richard Wojcik, they've both been named. Uh, Wojcik himself kind of taking responsibility. He probably is covering for his boss so he can, you know, so it doesn't have to go any higher than him. But the point is, the people who claim that they blocked the release of this report in the first place are now in charge of deciding whether or not it's even going to come out. And now we have some more insight into how other studies like this are being manufactured to try to discourage the release of this report. And it's, I mean, this, again, this should be like front page news. Right. You have science and I've reached out. I did reach out. I did my due diligence. I have emailed uh, Dr. Kumar at least twice now, and I don't expect he's going to respond. I think he's, that's the thing is there's these bureaucrats that most of us will ever never know their names or see their faces are 
are taking actions like this, which are largely consequential and, and clearly are going to shape the direction, because what if the NTP does decide not to release the report anymore? And they say it's because, well, we have new information like this study from Dr. Kumar. Well, then we could see that was exactly what they're aiming for. And hopefully that's not what happens. But if it does, then we, they, they won. They've had the effect of manufacturing science to, get, to reach the conclusions that they want us to believe. And that is a very dangerous place for us to be. But again, we saw this all through COVID-19. Yeah. Well, man, your work on this has been stellar and it's, it's unfortunate that, that this is not getting the attention it deserves. Cause this is, this is, this, as you said, this should be international news. I mean, this is a really big deal. This is, we've talked about P hacking, the idea of how science can, you know, you just continue to change up the stats until you get something that seems relevant. And there's some scientific method there to some degree, but it's dishonest and other scientists will acknowledge that. So I hope this continues to, I hope this will get the attention it deserves. And I know you'll be keeping up on the story. So thank you for keeping us surprised on this. And uh, we're looking forward to your next report. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, brother. As always, man. All right, well, let's get back to the uh, daily wrap-up. Well, if you want to follow up more on this overall work, everything he does on the fluoride trial, the fluoride lawsuit will continue here, which those are the hashtags we continue to try to use here. Hashtag fluoride trial, hashtag fluoride lawsuit. People understand it's been going on for years. But this, this work he's been doing goes back three pages. He's been doing this from the very beginning. And it's they've been caught numerous times, like blatantly caught for hiding information, dragging their feet at times when it's necessary. I mean, this is an obvious criminal activity. It's obvious criminal activity, as far as I'm concerned, knowing the repercussions on your children and everybody else, for that matter. Very important stuff. Now, I'll include this as well. If you want to look at the emails, which are included in this actual uh, episode, which you can read for yourself. Here's the page I was showing you. I just have it highlighted so you guys can see it. You know, his on his in his own words, his job is to promote fluoridation, to come up with messaging and strategies for how to best promote fluoridation. Is that about safety? Is that to make sure it's healthy? No, your job is to do it no matter what, to work, to promote fluoridation, to to preempt the study that's going to come out. That's not science, guys. That's propaganda. On a couple few other notes on health. This is something you might have seen. Lab-grown meat suffers significant setback with shocking news findings. Lab-grown meat up to 25 times worse for the environment since it needs pharmaceutical-grade production to make it fit for human consumption. Oh, oops, we forgot about the most obvious point that you might have to actually eat it. <laughs> oh, that. Oh, let's not forget, by the way, that other science has been showing that it increases cancer risk. And, you know, but who cares? Because Bill Gates made it as he buys farmland. And, like, it's just so crazy how all of this has been shown these same people keep doing things that hurt you over and over. What point do we at least ask whether that's the intention? Robin Minotti puts out another important study, which, by the way, this is being rationalized by the idea that we need to not apparently have cows that will end the, hurt the planet. Well, another study comes out. Carbon dioxide fertilization greening Earth study finds, quote, from a quarter of half to a quarter to half of Earth's vegetated lands have shown significant greening over the last 35 years due largely to the rising levels of atmospheric carbon dioxide. This is a NASA.gov study. But I guess that's fake news, apparently, because it doesn't go along with the narrative. And that's all that matters today is just narrative versus facts, and narrative apparently wins out. And one other thing that I'm going to follow up on, this is it's just disgusting to me that this is still happening, right? As we're they're screaming about things that we can show you are not entirely accurate. No one seems to care that Ohio and East Palestine are still struggling from one of the most obvious chemical disasters in U.S. history, and they're being told it didn't even happen. Then breaking news, 
a barge carrying 1,400 tons of toxic methanol just submerged in the Ohio River. But, you know, just a coincidence. And certainly, actually could be. But the point shouldn't only be whether this is coincidence or not. It should be that how is this even being allowed to happen? And why does nobody seem to care that all of these central locations are being poisoned? Is the correct word as far as I would see. No matter what, we're being lied to about what's going on in East Palestine and the risks that are associated with things that were there long before this even happened. And now that it's happening even further, it seems that we're being driven from locations that What's the term they use? The point is where there's a lot of agriculture. And it's very, very concerning to me. Now, whatever your thoughts on this, these things, at the very least, from a completely like normie kind of perspective, is seem to be happening rapidly. Why don't we care about that? And why is it? And, and could this be a means to an end to justify a reimagining of our infrastructure? Like all these things should be asked. I hope people will do that. One other quick point on this that I wanted to include on this this topic of the LGBTQ conversation. I wanted to make this point clear. The Epoch Times put this out. Family groups and LGBT activists uniting against a bill that would make pedophiles a protected class. So just so we're clear, as I was just saying, there are people within this community <clears throat> that are disgusted by what's happening. We just played you a video of a drag queen that was speaking out and saying, why are you allowing children around what we know is very sexualized, a lot of drug use, a lot of things that happen in these shows, and you're letting children come? Would you let them go to a pornography show or a strip club? And the point is they're aware of that because they work in the industry. It doesn't mean that every drag queen everywhere, but the point is that is happening. And that's just a different point. And the, the point being that there is a bigger story around the illusion we're being sold. Now, in this case, we have LGBT activists that are say, stepping up and saying, this bill is exactly what you think it is. Now, oh, you know what? I don't think I went through this. and I didn't highlight it, but the point ultimately was the bill would revise language in regard to pedophilia. The current definition of sexual orientation excludes protections for people that would commit a sex crime, right? Now, Governor Ned Lemmett signs it, this will they're going to pass. The person who admits they are a pedophile, even if they hadn't acted on, even if they hadn't acted on it, but just admitted it, they could go to an appealed board to get them. Like, so if they're trying to fire them for this, let me just go to the first sentence before it. The bill would revise the language. Oh, no, I guess that is where it started. Well, the point is that they're basically saying, and the next part, I guess, is more clear, that they're trying to remove the language under this. And I'm telling you right now, the point is that, well, you know, there's relationships between gay men and, and younger people, which is more acceptable in that community. So people are being criminalized. for. Well, that doesn't change anything. Is the law the law or not? You don't just get to go, well, I'm a trans person, so therefore this doesn't matter anymore. It does, though. Look, I'll be the first to admit, I w when I was in high school, I dated a girl that was 17 when I was 18. Technically, that's against the law, isn't it? The point is, though, in certain circumstances, like in high school, we tend to kind of overlook that. You know, freshman, senior, doesn't really turn that many eyes. But, you know, that same four-year gap between, you know, 17 and 23, well, suddenly it does. And it should, though, because those time frames are different. The point, though, is in this case... What they're trying to say is that, well, a person who may just be attracted to children, but not actually act on it, shouldn't be restricted from having certain jobs. Yeah, they really should. That's crazy to me. It's like saying, well, I really want to murder people, but, you know, you can let me around your vulnerable positions of families or whatever the equivalent would be. But yeah, wouldn't that, of course, we would care about that. What happens when they fall victim to those urges? 
Like that's not possible? Obviously it is. The bill would redefine sexual orientation as a person's identity in relation to the gender or genders to which they are romantically, emotionally, and sexually attracted, including any identity the person may have previously expressed or has perceived by other person. My God, that's the redefining of sexual orientation. No, that's complicating it in a way that makes it impossible to define. That's what that's the whole point. Because of that, critics are sounding the alarm, and they should be. Fearing the new language would make it unlawful to fire an employee who expresses a sexual attraction for children, even if they're working around children. That's important. Now, you may not think this is something that's there. It is there. But I can tell you, I can prove to you that there's plenty of people in this movement that don't even realize this is happening, who think that they're fighting for equality. Random moms that don't realize it's happening. People in the trans community that think that they're fighting for equality because they've been driven to think that's what's happening. But I can promise you, too, there are people in this community that know what's going on here. I've proven that to you. Quote, employers are going to have to become more cautious about how they interact with potential employees. That's what, so now you have to worry about you might be discriminating against a pedophile? That won't be able, they won't be able to discriminate on their sexual attraction. So that, again, that sounds like a problem. Why would you discriminate against somebody with because their sexual preferences? Well, what they're actually saying is they're going to now include that the sexual preference towards children. This is not it's on the surface, guys. It has passed both chambers and now awaits signing by Lamont, a Democrat. The current law in Connecticut protects people from facing discrimination due to their their preferences, right? But radical gender ideology activists felt that this carve-out wasn't big enough. So, again, that's an important point. The law is already in place to stop discrimination on anybody in that community that's not breaking the law, you see? But the problem is that's not enough. For these people pushing this, you need to open that window enough to include somebody that might be on the verge of breaking the law. Because, again, just I'm saying it like that because that's what they're saying. They're claiming, no, not a criminal, but somebody who just has these feelings, but can't. Okay, so why then would you allow somebody who has the potential to act in a way that could violate the law in one of the most egregious ways possible around the very people that might tempt them to do so? There's no way you can make this out to be not nefarious. This is a problem, guys, and it's barely concealed. I mean, I'm going to leave it there just because of time in general, but read this for yourselves. It's alarming. We've gone over two other bills doing the same thing. Don't confuse and don't forget that we have the UN and the WHO who've already put out documents that are trying to under saying, that, well, a minor can consent. Maybe not legally just yet, but they can. That's what they said in the document. The WHO and the UN basically normalizing the idea that this stuff can happen. All under the guise of, well, trans and gay relationships are different. No, they're not. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change a person's mental state because they say they're gay or trans. They're still a child. They should not be able to consent with a relationship with a grown person or rather realize that it's a grown person who can cultivate those relationships with children to make them think that it's okay. That's what we're talking about. Now, on the point of this, I just wanted to quickly point this out. One thought, I read this for yourself. I find this to be clumsy. And I mean, I don't, I can't, my, my I'm just going to give you my opinion because I can't prove to you that I know what these people were or were not. But I find it really ridiculous to me that one, you have KKK members coming out, pulling out their KKK cards. Apparently, that's really what this article is saying. Showing their their membership cards, apparently. <laughs> I laughed out loud when I read that. And saying, yeah, we're KKK. You're bad. And here's my gun. And then they went away. That's not a joke. That's the image they got right there. 
Now, quite frankly, these people look to me like people that might be undercover officers. And you know what makes that a little bit more clear to me is a likely possibility that the officers let them go. Engage with them, held them, quietly let them go, and then shut it and then push back on everybody else. That's typically what happens when you find out these are FBI agents. And they pull out that card and they go, oh, okay, well, we're not supposed to say it undercover. Now, I don't know that's what's happening, but we already saw this happen in multiple examples like January 6th and plenty of other places where that's exactly what happens. We saw them on a newer video where they're walking up and they, the cops were like, hey, hey, what are you doing? And they all pull out their cars and go, okay, go, go ahead, continue. Okay, so we should ask this. When they very clumsily come up and for no reason go, I'm KKK and I have a gun and, and you're gross and then I'm going to just leave. Does that sound like the, the what really would go on in a situation like this? It sounds like a way to set up the narrative to say, here's what's going on in this fake dynamic. Right-wing conspiracy theorists, Nazis are threatening the LGBTQ. Why? Because it's race? Is, isn't the whole point about white supremacy race-oriented? Oh, no. Now it's just about anything that goes... Well, see, this gets very clumsy. It gets into the main point about the vanilla ISIS, MAGA trap kind of conversation, which really is the big point about what we just talked about. That is this conversation. That's what we're talking about. That is this same concept of creating a situation where this is justifying the action. It's absolutely mind-blowing to me. Now, Sal Diagris puts out a tweet that I thought was disgusting and hilarious at the same time is where, here's a recent story, a man who set up illegal streaming of the Premier League get 30 years in jail. In other news, Man jailed for three, only jailed for three years for raping a 12 year old girl in the park. What's our society care? Well, rather, what does the government care about more? And then this one from and wokeness the Oscars now have what are called inclusivity rules. Now, this is just a quick insight to the ESG point. And then we're going to jump into the, the COVID 19 part for the rest of the show today. Inclusivity rules. In order to qualify for best picture, you see, you know, this is how the game is being played. I would even be willing to argue that possibly a majority of the people involved with this industry are kind of like just going along to get along, you know, and realize this is kind of not, you know, whatever you want to think. The point is that many of them, some of them at the very least, don't care about this and are doing it because they have to. You won't you won't be in the running unless you do what they ask. You know, you won't have infrastructure if you don't align with the right things. Your business doesn't say the right things outwardly. Well, you won't have the right connections anymore. You suddenly won't have any able ability to buy the things you need to run your business. Why? Because the people at the top, the crux of the whole thing, people that are, you know, like for instance, with the media, we know that it's now four, or I think five or now even possibly four companies that, and people still use that old sat of six companies. It's, it was five a long time ago. I think it was Viacom that merged with one of the other ones. The point is five, possibly even four now companies around the world manage the vast majority of everything you see, hear, and look at. That's not a joke. That matters. So the same way here, that these people at the top are pushing this ESG kind of concept to where you can't just shrug it off if you're tied into the system. And that's why we're now seeing businesses that are quite literally undermining their own business model to the point of where they may not even exist anymore because well, they won't exist for sure if they buck the ESG system. So they took a shot. Like Bud Light and these different groups out there. Well, now you can't even get in the running for best picture, regardless of how great your picture is, if you don't, guess what, include 30% of the cast as what they've decided are unrepresented minorities. 
And this is exactly why we're recognizing these movies are being destroyed because they're shoehorning in things that make no sense to the actual narrative, the actual plot, the storyline, because if they don't, well, they won't get the funding and their mission won't even make it out. We've watched the complete destruction of this entire industry. It's very sad. This is broken. And one thing I want to include, by the way, that I actually frustratingly forgot to show you on yesterday's show, which was a very important point. So I'm mad about this because somebody is going to watch that and go, he never even brought up the thing he kept saying, which I did show this, but I didn't get into it in depth. I just want to say very quickly, this is the standards of care document that there were the study showing the document about this. And I just want to make this clear, guys. What they keep pointing out is the standards of care, as Levine would lie about and say, very robust. I'm looking forward to talking with you and you're on. No, you're not because that didn't happen. And you just lie. Anyway, the point is transgender healthcare is rapidly evolving interdisciplinary field. The point is rapidly evolving. This is 2022. The point is it's barely as they admitted. We're building the plane while trying to fly it. That's we're flying it while building it. However, they said that now, again, the World Professional Association for Transgender Health or WPATH. Remember, the president elect of this company is the one speaking out and saying, we're being sloppy with children treatments. We're not giving them the care that they need. And in many cases, they wouldn't actually be trans if they were allowed to give counseling. That is the lead of this, the president of the leading group pushing all of this. And so and yet we're being told it's like the Israel conversation. The trans community is going, they're telling you this. And the president of the company is going, no, this is not what's happening. She's actually disagreeing with the concept that most one in five children are trans today, which is what the community is pushing. Clearly not focused on your children, right? The point is it says the, the standards of care were initially developed in 1979 and have been revised. But it's saying based on the best available science. And you know what that means? It's not there. We've proven this to you. They do not, do not have long-term studies on any one of these things. So <clears throat> the best available science is very sparse. They don't have it, but it is based entirely on the recommendation statements were developed based on data derived from independent systematic literature reviews where available, meaning it's not, they don't have them. So that's a blatant lie. Background reviews and expert opinions being the lowest, lowest level of science. That is the lowest grade of evidence. It's the bottom of the pyramid as the science, the community will show yourselves. The, the meta-analysis, the top lowest is expert opinion. Doesn't mean you ignore it. But this is what they're pushing to say, we know we can give kids puberty blockers. We know we can give them stream, all of which they don't know, and which we've proven immediate, short-term infertility, bone problems, and over, kind of including puberty blockers, hormone treatments, and all of it. All of these things lead to problems, strokes, possible for uh, mortality or uh, death. This is according to Reuters, Associated Press, and the people in this community. So when they say where available, they don't have long-term studies. So this is expert opinion and reviews of the people driving the agenda. That's how dishonest this is and how alarming this is. Now, speaking about aggressive lies and driving the agenda using misinformation, let's talk about COVID-19 to finish the show today. Now, I'm hoping to get this done in 45 minutes so we won't go over two hours, but I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> the FBI, or excuse me, the FDA, oh, uh, Emily shared this with me today. FDA vote on future COVID-19 vaccines is a call to action to boost rates June 15th. So before we get into all of this, let's look at what they're there. This is two, three days ago. Let's look at what they're towing right now. Three days ago. This is where their narrative is at. This is mind blowing. It says the healthcare community leveraged existing vaccine platforms to quickly create and deliver safe and effective 
COVID-19 vaccine candidates less than one year from the start of the pandemic. So just starting with a egregious lie. They didn't use existing. Well, here's the funny part, actually. That's not what we're told, but that is the truth. That's the Moderna platform. They used the sequence from China and two days later pumped out the vaccine. So the point is that, oh, that's the wrong one. Hold on. There we go. I had this on the way back machine because they, they deleted this. And there's a reason they deleted it because it shows you the game that's being played. They used the platform. They never needed it to be isolated. I argue it still hasn't been based on Koch's postulates, but they've verified, we've verified that when China sent the sequence on January 11th, they never had it. Moderna has admitted to this publicly at the World Economic Forum. Good thing we got the sequence, right? That's what he said publicly. But you can prove that on January 11th, they got the sequence from China. January 11th, 2020. By January 13th, they had already finalized the sequence that they're still using today. That's so very important that I still don't think people understand how important that is. And as I always play, here's the China CDC admitting months after this that they never isolated it when they sent this. And why has the data not been shared? No, they didn't isolate as a virus. That's the issue. No, they didn't isolate as a virus. Okay. Now, they argue they did after that. I still argue they didn't based on Koch's postulates, but the point is the same. By January 13th, they hadn't isolated this according to the CDC. So he, the Forbes is right. They were already using the platform that they're pretending they jumped, they shifted into with the bivalent. They, they never needed it. They needed a genetic sequence. So ask yourself how they could do that. How could they possibly do that? If all they, so they had a platform and this kind of shell model where they just inputted c- computer sequences. And that never looked back. Again, the point that I always make is this is Trump's warp speed. So you're telling me China didn't let us know the Wuhan flu. And yet you somehow then blindly took their information to be the basis for the entirety of Operation Warp Speed. Come on, guys, we can't be that naive. You, you could argue Trump doesn't know that. That wouldn't be hard to wrap my mind around, but it doesn't matter, really. We're being misled in every possible way. So they did use a vaccine platform that they always intended to, but they weren't safe and effective. It says, despite clear cause for celebration, that's what they're telling you right now. We did it, guys. We did it. Mission accomplished. U.S. vaccination rates were modest at best, and the impact of this scientific achievement was diminished because it's your fault. You're the ones, guys. You're the reason we can't celebrate because you didn't do what you were told. This is still what's being pushed. The aggressive U.S. COVID-19 vaccine rollout, coupled with the disappointing public uptake, is a call to action for our medical and public health communities to understand why and to quickly develop and implement informed interventions. Right, so we can't just accept that you guys made up your own minds. It's either that you were misinformed, or we need to find out how to implement interventions to convince you otherwise. That should sound nefarious, or rather ominous, because it is. There is no, remember when I said very early, there is no saying no to this? There's just not right now, and we'll come back in a day and tell you you have to, that's the, the game that was played. We never forced anybody. Yeah, you did. It was relentless. Even right now, they're going, well, we, we're going to inform the community. Nobody's confused about your talking points. What they're really saying is we're going to pressure you yet again. Don't forget, Fauci in the Cell.com article, they've already admitted this was an utter failure. On the record, but the corporate media and the government won't lean into that because they don't want you to think that. But that's their, that's their kind of release valve. 
that's there for the future where they can go back and go, yeah, well, we admitted it. We just, you know, we move forward. You don't understand science. You weren't paying attention. No, you lied to us. Yes, you said it didn't stop transmission. Yes, you lied about everything else. That now they just get to pretend they didn't. That's how the game is played. We never said planes flying into buildings. We never said Iraq was involved in 9-11. Yeah, you did, though. <laughs> in every single circumstance, unanimous vote for future COVID-19 vaccines to contain a single XBB component and new vaccines to be available this fall. They voted for this. Now, get, this is the absurdity. Even this article makes this point. The game is the same. We act like, well, now we understand. Now we know it's XBB and we want to go back to the single component because the bivalent was dangerous and, and we'll focus on the new one that, by the way, is already not happening. And again, I'm not buying into what they're saying is going on, but this is the absurdity of this. Their own talking points are saying we're already almost past and we're at XBB 1.5 point something. What they're talking about, as I showed you in their own data, is XBB, the original. So it's the same thing as before. Oh my God, we need to rush out the Delta vaccine. Oh, it's Omicron, too late. Oh, well, now we need to push out the Omicron. Oh, too late, XBB. Oh, well, that's why it's not working. Okay, what time? when do they stand back and go, maybe we should stop pretending we can get a vaccine out before the new variant comes along? Again, I'm not trying to make it sound like this is their accident. I genuinely think this is just a game to keep you thinking it's all the evolution of science. If we as individuals can say in 2021, well, wait a minute, if you're telling us variants are popping out every 30 seconds, why should we force to take the one that we already know is past where we are? And then why should we ask, why should we even get in line for the next one? If by the time you come out with it, we'll be on to another variant, which is what actually happened. I mean, within the narrative. You see my point? So this isn't honest, guys. I think they know that. But here we are again. Let's hop back on the hamster wheel. We're going to unanimously vote for a new... What, but see, when they go back to single, they're, they're admitting to you the bivalent was an utter failure and was hurting people, which is what the science showed you, which we'll get into in a minute. Vaccine manufacturers sharing data indicated superior immune responses with single component vaccine. Yeah. What do you know? So your body's not actually made to, to can take on multiple antibodies. Like, this is why these flu shots are actually problematic today. And only more so as it goes forward, because they're quadrivalent. And one of the things we showed you in the bivalent, which we'll get into that study in a minute, is that it's dangerous. We showed you within the earlier COVID shots that what they're doing is causing antibody-dependent enhancement and all sorts of different things. One of the ways that can happen, as far as I understand it, is the reaction to, like, if you have something creating lots of different antibody responses that your body reacts poorly to, right? So when you're giving, so that was the point about the bivalent. In any case, the bottom line is, they're saying, yeah, yeah, we got to go back to the single because that's the right way. Well, what do you know? So all those times when we were screaming that in the middle and called conspiracy theorists, it turns out we were right. How many times can Scott Adams say we got lucky and guessed into the right? Think about how dumb that is. Consistently being right about what ends up happening and we just keep guessing right. And the experts just keep doing the right thing, but getting it wrong. <laughs> Maybe you're confused about what right and wrong is. Maybe you're confused about how this is playing out. Just a thought. COVID-19 vaccination rates rose quickly, but eventually slowed and stuttered because people realized what was going on today. And this is super important. This is not even what we're being told by the government at the moment. Now, I don't maybe this is the false information and what they're saying is true, but this feels more like the accurate understanding. And now they're putting this out correctly because they want to shock you into getting back in line. Today, they say approximately one third of the population has not received a complete primary vaccination series. So first of all, that's the one we hear. So they're telling you that 66% of people have already gotten their complete series. Didn't they tell us that was basically herd immunity in the beginning? That's the original series, guys. 
So it didn't work, no matter how they spin this. But then they say more than 80% have not received their bivalent. More than 80%. That is what the majority looks like. This one-third, we're full of a bunch of people that knew better, were scared, didn't want to lose their jobs, wanted to go on vacation, wanted their kids to feel like, and they just did it anyway. This was when they went, okay, guys, right? My teeth are falling out. You keep getting sick. I've got rashes all over the place. You just had a heart attack. We're going to pause for a moment, right? That's what's really happening. Between 250 and 500 Americans, they say, still die each week from COVID, according to the CDC, which, you know, we can trust, right? Well, let's just, let's just take a look at what that might actually mean. So that sounds like, oh my God, 500 every week. But what does that actually translate to? Is that more or less than the flu? Do you know? Well, we should look. We'll just quickly look this up. And this is the, you know, this, I just want to show you something that shows, this is generally what they say. And this is this old article from 2020 where they blatantly lie about how COVID-19 is worse than the flu. It's not, <laughs> it's not. Here's the Ionitis group, the most recent January 2023 peer-reviewed study about the overall risk. And nobody's retracting this. Nobody's crediting because this is the truth. And it's not hard to prove what it shows you. At a global level, before vaccinations were ever part of the conversation, the infection fatality rate could have been as low as 0.03 under 59 and 0.07 or 69. That's because Imperial College of London said 3.9 and scared everybody with a blatant lie, which we can now prove was a lie. And still somehow this kept going. And the bigger point is 94% of the population is actually under 69. That means 94% of the population was at less than the flu. Less than the flu. But they're still lying. But the point was about the numbers. Okay, 250 to 500 die each week. So this article is a blatant lie, and they knew it when they wrote when they said this. But they're now saying that generally they say 30,000 to 60,000 a year. So let's just take their narrative. Despite the fact that we've already proven to you by their own information and WHO calling them out for this, that that's 90-something percent pneumonia. Which they just go as, well, secondary pneumonia, flu, same thing. No, it's not. And they were galled out by the HHS and the WHO in the last decade, but nobody cares about that. And now they're doing the same scam today with COVID, flu, and pneumonia, and just coupling it and decoupling it when they want to. It's a game, guys. It's very easy to prove. But let's, for the sake of conversation, take their number. 60,000 a year. That's what they say. That's a serious flu season, right? Well, what does that break down to? Well, that comes out to 1,153 deaths a week. 52 weeks a year. Okay. So what they're telling you is everybody be super scared because a fraction of the risk of flu is happening. That's what that means. Now I'm not saying it's, it's okay. People die. It's every, every death is sad, but there has to be some, some context here, right? We need to be objective about this. If what they're telling you is this is a quarter of the risk of the flu, that that should be okay. Then we're done. Then everyone's go back to normal. That's the reality. But what they then argue, if you say that, is, well, we've got long COVID. No, you don't, though. And that's also a lie. That is vaccine side effects that are being perpetuated by what you're doing and also psychosomatic concerns. Peer-reviewed science has made that clear. Again, at every level of the conversation, the current highest level science at every one of these points is telling you the opposite of what they're telling you. And they just don't want to point at that. It's not hard to see. So they're lying to you, going, something less than the flu. So hurry, get a new COVID shot for it. Disinformation and misinformation about vaccine ingredients and far-fetched conspiracy theories contributed to decrease uptake. Now, look, you look. I would actually 
you could argue that there were plenty of things people said that weren't true that might have influenced people not to take the injection. But you know what? That was a good thing. Lie or not, it saved their life most likely by not taking these things. But it says, however, important and reasonable questions about acute and long-term vaccine side effects made people wary. Well, that's quite interesting. So at the very least, they're going, well, yeah, there was some concerns. So where do you draw the line, Forbes? So fake news caused people not to take it. But then here's valid reasons people also didn't take it. Okay, then. So what's your conspiracy theory here? They're obviously don't get into it, right? Because that's it's, it's a way to make it seem like we're being objective. And maybe they are to a degree. But really what they're ultimately saying is there is risks. And that's always been the only point we made here. So there should be choice. End of story. You can't get fired for not taking it. You can't get coerced for not taking it. And guess what? As we, we keep pointing out in the past, you, the UNESCO document. There we go. The United, the United States just claimed they're going to rejoin UNESCO. Well, like we just said the other day, if they do, let's see if they finally start to uphold the thing they've always been violating this entire time. The Universal Declaration on Bioethics and Human Rights from UNESCO. Where one of the main points, as always, is that if you are involved with any of these things, you have the right. You have the right. Consent may be withdrawn by the person concerned at any time for any reason without any disadvantage or prejudice. Period. And one of the other points it makes in here is that you, the interest and welfare of you, always have priority over the sole interest of science or society. Every single one of these things they have violated and they don't care. People had concerns about the efficacy that was quickly declining, they say. Well, yeah. So now we're talking about risks that we seem to be acknowledging and that the efficacy was going down. So at what point are we talking about honest, very clear reasons to go, I'm not taking that versus undefined nebulous conspiracy theory? The term breakthrough infection became all too familiar because, yeah, because it was happening as more people were infected, vaccinated, spreading to vaccinated. That was the predominant measure. Observations of the protective abilities of naturally acquired immunity also challenged the rationale. What do you mean observations? God, that's pathetic. You mean natural immunity caused people to go, well, I don't need it. That is some very bad writing. The occurrence of new and invasive SARS-CoV-2 variants were met with attempts to boost immunity by administering additional vaccine doses. So that's called an experiment. You're in the middle of a problematic situation. The injections were put out at a poor time. This is what we were just saying. So they rush it out. And because of the industry and profit, they go, go give it. It's the, it's the Delta vaccine. But we all seem to know that Omicron is, again, narrative is what's going around. So they give it anyway. Why? Because, well, it has some effect. Well, that's not science, guys. That's just do it anyway. And then rush out the next thing. And by the time that comes out, they were on something else already. So what they were doing is experimenting on you in many different ways. This is one of the most obvious from like a lower level. Let's, let's, let's give them a new one and see if we can boost that immunity. Your immune system was aggressively suffering from this. Booster doses were implemented using original formulation vaccines first, which was ridiculous, unscientific, because we were at a point where they were telling you what we were dealing with was not the same thing. And yet they managed to keep giving you this original thing all the way until like a year ago. Or even now, still, by the way, I think they're still giving some. But then variant specific vaccines were tested. And eventually a bivalent formulation targeting the original, again, still, how does that even make sense? And even then the FDA said, that doesn't make sense anyway. And more recently circulating strains were recommended. 
We're going to get into the bivalent in a minute and show you how egregiously dangerous this is. They knew this. Net harm was the point. The mandate, yes, but the because it would hurt more people than it would help by simply giving these things. That was the finding. Just as perceptions of increased risk drove older adults to get vaccinated, perceived and lie risk, perceptions of decreased risk caused many younger people to forego vaccination and most parents to pass on vaccinating on their children. Yeah, because they were right. Over and over, I can say this. Oxford Calculator, their own data, their own breakdown. Everywhere you look right now, they're admitting that children are, ba- are the risk is non-existent. I mean, even their narrative at years into this was something like 50 children have died. Like, yeah, that's sad. But think about the breakdown. That is me. That is not even statistically significant in the conversation of how many people are suffering. And then, of course, we know that many of those were kids that were in the hospital for a broken leg and got a COVID test and were told they got COVID. That's real, guys. Newsweek broke that down. It says it's not that these perceptions were incorrect. That's interesting. But that the risks of COVID in young people where they go inflammatory syndromes, vaccine-caused, long COVID, vaccine-caused, and rarely and very rarely death were un- underappreciated. You know how many that amounts to, by the way? Even right now, it's, it's, it's shockingly low. Hundreds at most. That, you, it's not hard to look up. And then you can realize that most of those are not even legitimate in the sense where many of them, as Newsweek pointed out, at least half of the time, I think it was 40% when they wrote that, were people that were simply there for another reason and got a COVID test. And then long COVID, we can show you that most of the people are either suffering psychosomatic problems or are dealing with long COVID vaccine problems, or excuse me, vaccine problems being called long COVID. Right now, if you're shaking your head, that you're, you're literally taking narrative over the peer-reviewed science that is continually finding that. And, you know, it doesn't matter. The problem is I, I show the science that's continuing to show that. And they go, oh, you don't know. You're not a doctor. You don't know what you... Well, I'm not even claiming to be the peer-reviewed scientists are <laughs> in the studies from JAMA Network and from JAMA Network, the high-level people. See, my point is people have just chosen to ignore the things they don't want to see. Very rare vaccine side effects, they say, in young males. You mean the dangerously high problem of myocarditis? It's not very rare. The fact that they can still say that in 2023 shows you how broken this all is. Despite the clear clinical benefit of COVID vaccination, that's utterly false. The benefit is not the same for everyone. Think about that statement. Didn't you tell us it's safe and effective? That is, that's not for some people. That's what Jim Jordan was just pointing out with Walensky. Well, it was a general statement. You didn't sell it as a general statement. You said it won't happen. Now they're trying to walk this back in a really clumsy way by saying, well, I was just being gen-. You don't generalize risk statements about people's health. The point is, it's not the same for everybody because it doesn't work. And on top of that, there is no benefit for people because it's hurting everybody. That's not a hyperbolic statement. Those at low risk of bad outcomes from COVID-19 benefit less from vaccination. You don't say. Low risk like almost everybody. Low risk especially like children. It's not that they benefit less from vaccination. There is no benefit. They're hurting people. COVID vaccines reduce the risk of severe disease, hospitalization, and death. No, they don't, but are less impactful in preventing infection or disease. This is just a very sad walk back of the earlier statements. And no, they don't. They are continuing to cause all of those things. Get this, what they said here. Vaccination is associated with a reduced risk of long COVID. Think about that statement. The thing causing long COVID is associated with a reduce of long COVID. Broken state of science. In some studies, and it, it, and is 
safe and beneficial in multiple special populations. They're literally telling you that in pregnant women, these are safe. You see what I'm saying, guys? This is absolutely staggering. And I've shown a hundred times here are just an overview breakdown of all the different data showing you that in their own documents, they're still as of right now saying that we don't know. We don't know if it's safe. CDC says safe for pregnant people, but then the data on the actual shot bivalent. There are no data available regarding the use of Pfizer in pregnant people. So no data means safe and effective. Apparently to these people, it does. Here's Jicky Leaks again, pointing out some actual breakdown of the data, showing you that their own information in the trials showed you that they were hurting pregnant women. Didn't care. So sad. The benefits of immunity from natural infection may be on par with those from vaccination. Think about the stretch of that. This is, this has taken three and a half years. And finally, they've rediscovered natural immunity. Isn't that sad? Remember the, uh, let me see if I can get the pop up. What was that? Motherboard? Probably won't come up now. It's been a while since I've tried to look for it. <clears throat> well, the point was that she wrote that article. They probably deleted it now because it's, it's embarrassing. They have a dangerous conspiracy theory called natural immunity. And they weren't just talking about COVID. That's how quickly people can get brainwashed by this kind of effort. You think that we've all known about our entire lives is suddenly fake news? Uh-huh. But guess what? Now we're walking that all the way back. Guess what? Now it can be on par with the vaccine. What a sad. So that's not on par. It's always been better. And the injection's killing people. So it's not even remotely. The vaccination is dramatically worse, even including what they say is the risk of COVID-19, which might not even be there with original vaccine formulations. Okay, so that's the game they're playing now. Well, it was good in the beginning. Mm -mm, No, it wasn't. While hybrid immunity may offer greater protection. Nope. There's at least three peer-reviewed studies that show the exact opposite. They don't care about that. When you get injections and then get sick, well, that's way, way worse. They don't care about that. Most people are not aware how vaccines are made, tested, or intense scrutiny given to every step of the process, which, by the way, quite literally did not happen this time, or maybe not ever, but didn't happen this time, before regulatory approval or authorization for use is granted. I mean, this is just a clumsy conflating of those two things, and they're not the same. They're literally very different, and at one means there's basically the evidence is not there, but what we know we think we know outweighs what we think the risks are. That's what it means. And it's only in a dangerous emergency. Approval means we know for sure. But yet they've conflated those two things. Think about how ridiculous that is. And the bottom line is they're saying, well, you don't know. You don't know. Well, you guys don't understand how these things work. Well, we do. We've, we've researched this for years now. And there's been a lot of experts and doctors and vaccinologists and immunologists and all of them that have spoken up and you guys don't listen to them. So yeah, they do know. The point was, As a result of this effort to say that you guys don't understand, the public standards for vaccine safety and effectiveness were impossible to meet. Wow. So it's all your fault, you dumb idiots. It's everybody's fault. You guys don't understand. You guys had this pie-in-the-sky idea that we were supposed to save you from sickness, like we're supposed to stop transmission, and what's impossible to meet. (laughs) I mean, we should all have a good chuckle about this, but then realize how really alarming that is. So the lie you've been spinning about how... All these vaccines stop illness was always a lie. Got it. And now you're pretending that we were confused. We never said this. We never talked about 9-11. We never. Yeah, the whole same thing, right? We never pretended vaccines would stop these things. Yeah, you did, though. You did quite a bit.
somebody out online doing the same thing. Nobody said you were stopping transmission. What was that? Dr. Fauci. When people are vaccinated, they're not going to get infected. When you're not going to get in COVID, Biden says, you're not going to get your, if you have these vaccinations, you're not going to get COVID. Walensky, vaccinated people do not carry the virus. They don't get sick. Rachel Maddow, now we know the vaccines work well to stop the virus. Bill Gates, everyone who takes the vaccine is reducing their transmission. Borla, there is no variant that escapes the protection of our vaccines. Every single one of those statements are false. They weren't right at any moment. Not from Alpha, not from Wuhan, none of it. They know that. They're just trying to recreate the situation as Walensky's being completely dragged under the bus right now. There's one other I, th- I thought I had. Oh, this one too. Here's Borla. Still up. Is this gone now? No, it's still there. He's saying, excited to share that their analysis from the phase three trial. You mean. Oh, where was it? Damn it. Oh, I don't think I grabbed it. The one, This time I didn't grab it. Shout out to James here. who I always, That always pops up, by the way. Helped by James to where I grabbed this study from. Where? Their own trial. The same trial he's pointing at, by the way. Just make this clear. Phase three study with biotech. He's claiming it showed their vaccine was 100% effective. 100%. It's clearly not the case now. And they're going, we never said that. Well, the reevaluation of that phase three trial, as I've shown you many times, of the random control trials of both, found literally the opposite. 36% increased risk of death, hospitalization, or serious disability if you took the vaccine compared to not. In Pfizer, 6% increase of Moderna, both of which mean you have a high risk of getting sick if you it's more dangerous to take it than not even considering that what they claim is a risk from covid that's crazy that's reevaluated peer reviewed still standing there from 2022 and all they can do is keep pushing the lie so was it our standards that were impossible to meet or was it your lies that you were spinning about how it was supposed to work this is how easy this is guys and these people are pathetic and they're running Validating the credibility of information sources during the pandemic was also a challenge for the public writ large. Again, because you're too stupid. That's the underlying point. The result was a considerable amount of noise introduced into important and consequential COVID treatment and prevention discussions, which, by the way, saved a lot of lives. Clinicians faced threats of litigation or violence for refusing to prescribe various ineffective medications on social media. Wow. Talk about a reimagining of the history. We're just, re- we're just reinventing what actually happened here. So now you're arguing that there were doctors that were threatened for not prescribing ivermectin? Now, I'm that, sure that happened to some degree, but talk about ignoring the elephant in the room. How about the fact that there were doctors who were threatened, fired, and coerced, and you know all the other things we talk about for doing the right thing, for giving them a treatment that, that actually helped them, which we've now proven, which, by the way, at the time was still logical, even if you didn't think it was studied. Right now, they're giving ch- kids treatment that with zero long-term studies because they feel something. They've decided they're a girl today. But here, they lose their minds about people giving treatments to people that ask for them because there's years of study on it, off-label. That's called hypocrisy. Previous known knowns in science and medicine were now blurred and in question. Because you guys have been lying to us our entire lives. The establishment, not necessarily every scientist. Ineffective, poorly worded messaging confused people and pushed them to access information from less credible sources. You mean all the sources you just went were just basically told us were right? All the things you've said in this article were fake news in 2021. But 
less credible sources, which clearly save people's lives in some cases. Unrealistic expectations. And of course, they clumsily dump everybody in this that just doesn't toe the line. Now, yes, there are people that were not towing the line, but also spreading fake information. And there's people like us that were doing their due diligence and sharing source material and being objective about it and proving to you that they were lying. Unrealistic expectations of 100% vaccine safety and 100% effectiveness needed to be managed and placed in the context of the ongoing health threat. Well, maybe you should talk to Albert Borla. And the lies and the, the efforts to tell you that everything was completely safe and all of it worked perfectly and no one ever told you to stop transmission. Yeah, they said all of these things. Unfortunately, we fell short of this task and eroded public trust in the process. So again, we failed to inform you properly. No, you lied. And now you're trying to pretend that you didn't. Clinicians should embrace the new normal of an increasingly vaccine-hesitant population and have clear messages regarding the risks and benefits of vaccination. Yeah, good. Frame it all you want as we're wrong and, and conspiracy theorists. I don't care what you perceive it to be. If that's what you're going to do, good. But I promise you that's not what's going to happen. They're going to come out with the opposite. They're going to say, your dangerous misinformation is going to kill people, so you have to do what we say. Yeah, get used to it. That's how they operate today. The point is, if this was an honest situation, they'd go, well, okay, let's just pretend like we're misinformed. They would do what they're saying. They would go, okay, well, let's make sure we give them clear messaging and give them all the information, let them choose for themselves. That's what they pretend they're doing, but they don't. They come and go, have you heard the good word about the vaccine? <laughs> do you know the safe and effective? Safe and effective? Safe and effective? Oh, you're a crazy. You're a conspiracy theorist. That's, that's about the gist of the conversation right there. It's Dover. You said no? You're crazy. We tried to inform him of the facts. <laughs> Clinicians, scientists, and public health professionals need to reorganize, re excuse me, recognize there are highly motivated and organized individuals who want a world without vaccines. It's just such a weird framing. That's probably true. But where's the facts in all of that? Credible information sources need to be readily accessible. Yeah, I agree. And sources of blatant misinformation need to be held accountable. Yeah, we agree on that. Except we probably point at the wrong, different things. The point is that they don't really want accountability. What they want is people that they claim misinformation to be stopped without question. If we're really talking about misinformation, it'd be very easy to point this out. And people like Forbes and other platforms that have towed lies would be accountable for it. It's not what's happening. Scientists and clinicians need communications and media training. Oh, so what we're going to do is teach them how to lie better. Finally, the public's expectations of vaccine safety and, and effectiveness need to be managed. So they understand the individual's vaccination experience is as individual as their choice to be or not be vaccinated. You know, the choice they tried to remove from you and are still trying to remove. Pretending that's there, removing that from the conversation. What do you mean this is individual as each person? You know what that is? That's a way to go. Well, it's they're trying to edge into the world where they make focused and individual vaccinations based on platforms and genetic sequences. And on top of all of that, they that'll also remove from the possibility that we can compare any of it. Hey, they're all dying. Well, it's individual experiences. And they're not related at all. Right. Oh, well, he, that's his problem with his own. His body reacted weird to it. That's individual vaccination experience. Well, where was this in the beginning when they said blanket safe and effective? They blanket everything. It's working, it's safe, everything to do it no matter what. Well, the point is they're either now finally admitting the reality of this or just trying to change the field so they can push you into a new era. I agree. This is probably one of the most dishonest things I've ever seen. But it's not stopping. It's sprinting forward.
Let's talk about some of the things that Kennedy said. All true, by the way, and we can prove that it's all true on the Joe Rogan show. There's some really important clips here. Pelham points this out when he talks about the trials themselves. Let's take a listen. It is. They had 22,000 people got the vaccine, 22,000 and they have six months of data. Some of that is unblinded, but it's six months. And uh, during that six-month period, in the vaccine group, one person died of COVID. And in the placebo group, two people died from COVID. So that allows Pfizer to tell the public and, you know, FDA to tell the public, oh, this vaccine is 100% effective because two is 100% of one. That is what insane. They, what they should have been telling Americans and what they're required to under the law is is to give them a number that is called the NNTV, the number needed to vaccinate to save one life. How many people do you have to vaccinate to save one life? And the answer, of course, is you need to you need to vaccinate twenty two thousand people to save one life. Are we we're going to go into that in a minute in the that study, the same one, the BMJ. Slightly different stats, but you know, just minor differences in the overall number. I think it's like eighteen thousand. They said the point is the same. The, even the bivalent shot, they found that you needed to vaccinate something like eighteen to 20,000 people in order to stop one hospitalization. And in the process of that, you would cause 18 to 19 serious adverse events. That's dramatically bad. That's what he's talking about. You can prove all of this stuff. It's in peer-reviewed science right now. But people like Hotez are out there screaming, this guy's a dangerous Nazi misinforming everybody. I'm not making that up. So if you're going to, if you are going to, um, if you can vaccinate 22,000 people to save one life, you better make sure the vaccine itself is not killing anybody. Because if it kills one person per 22,000, you've now canceled out the entire benefit of the product. And when they looked at the key metric, which was all-cause mortality, in, in other words, how many people died of all, not just from COVID, but of all causes in the vaccine group, and how many died from all causes in the, in the placebo group? The placebo group had uh, had a, a 17 people die, and um, our, and the vaccine group had 21. So, what that means is there were um, there were more people died in the vaccine group. That means you're. But didn't the placebo group eventually take the vaccine because they were unblinded? Yeah, they were unblinded, but they but they still gave us the data, the six month data for the people. So it's all. I mean, there's total information. So it's during six months, though, right? And six months. It's six months of people that are adults. Some of them got it sooner, right. two or four months. But anyway, they gave us the six months of data for the two designated groups, and the you know the, it's an alarming result. Because there were four people who died of um, four to five people who died of cardiac arrest in the placebo in the vaccine group, and only one in the placebo group. God, what that means is, if you take the vaccine, you're you know twenty one percent more likely to die over six months, according to this data, according to this data, which is you know not good data and not enough of a big group. What he means not good, he means that it's poorly put together, like with the intention of confusing you. But the, what even that data shows that was intentionally obfuscated is that they're hurting people. This is what I point at when I say the 36% increase. That's the reevaluation. He's pointing at the same kind of thing. There's a few of these have been done, and one of these is the phase three reevaluation. They're completely caught right now. This is just a complete battle of narrative versus the facts. 
right? And look, just because I completely support what he's saying here doesn't mean you can't still be skeptical about what the overall intentions might be for running for president and so on, right? Like like I've said many times, the guy is hands down the best person I can currently see running. That's my opinion, but I'm very concerned that we might be being played somehow. I I think his stance on Israel was utterly indefensible, morally indefensible. That's my personal opinion. And I, I worry about the climate change overlap with where that seemed with things he said in the past, but that doesn't remove what he's saying here. I applaud what he's doing. This is absolutely powerful and important. And as I've said about Joe Rogan over the years, I'm skeptical as I am with anybody. But as I've said, as you guys remember, I've always felt like he was more just a guy. Just he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a news guy from the beginning and has slowly become more of that because how important this podcast, how much it reaches people. But you can see that he seems to be kind of evolving his, unopin- his opinions and you got to give credit where it's due. Right. I mean, the fact that he's talking about this stuff and challenging these narratives to the point to where it's a, now I'm going to get to the Hotez point in a minute on pu- public display. He's changing people's minds, guys. Now, yes, you should always ask whether that's a means to an end for some larger manipulation. That's always a fair question. But until you can prove that you stick with going, well, good job. Either if there's some kind of ulterior motive, still good job. That's good work. And that's an important thing they just said. So I applaud this 100 percent. Now, really, you should watch the whole thing. It's a, it's a great discussion. A large enough group to really make these kind of predictions, but it's all they gave us. So they're stuck with this number. If you take the vaccine, you're 21% more likely to die of all causes. Wow. And, and when you look at the data, you see that there's four cardiac arrests, four to five, because one of them looks like a cardiac arrest, but it may not be. But there's at least four cardiac arrests in the vaccine group. And only one in the placebo group, which means if you take the vaccine, you're 400 more, 400 percent more likely to die of a cardiac arrest over the next six months. Which we're literally seeing play out. Baffling rise in heart attacks. We'll get to that. I'm not making that up. We have the data. Think about how dishonest this is from the government, from the media. And they're calling this person a misinformer, a, a conspiracy theorist, a fascist. Uh, than if you didn't. So that's not a good, you know, a product. You know, you, you wouldn't want to recommend that product, much less mandate it. And yeah, right. And I didn't cut it off. That's where it ends right there. But the point is that that's 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 the whole idea, guys. I've, from the day one, if they had come out and said, "This is your choice," and then proceeded to aggressively propagandize and try to convince you, I still would have spent this entire time exposing they were lying about it. But it wouldn't have been as important because people weren't being forced to take it. The fact that they went to the point to where they literally unprecedented, never happened this way before, forced people while they knew that it was dangerous. There's no missing what this is. This is something very nefarious. This is Chief Nerd sharing a longer clip. This is an important one where he's talking about how he caught Dr. Paul Offit in a lie about childhood vaccinations. Called Kathleen Stratton at the National Academy of Sciences, who was the chief staffer, and I was asking her about these studies. And I realized during these conversations that none of these people had read any of the science. They were just repeating things that they had been told about the science. And then, and they kept saying to me, "Well, I can't answer that detailed question. You need to talk to Paul Offit." Well, Paul Offit is a vaccine developer who made a $186 million deal with Merck on the rotavirus vaccine. And it would be, it was odd to me that government regulators were saying, you should talk to somebody in the industry. It's like if I, you know, 
I used to talk to EPA people all the time asking them, what, did, what does this provision mean in the permit? Why did you put it in there? And if they said to me, I don't know, why don't you go talk to the coal industry or this lobbyist for the coal industry and he will tell you what we're doing, I would have been very, you know, puzzled and indignant. Oh, it was weird to me that the, the top regulators in the country were telling me, go talk to somebody who's an industry insider because we don't understand the science. And when I talked to him, I caught him in a lie. And both of us knew that he was lying and that, and that both of us recognized that he was lying. And at that point, I was What like, was the lie? Well, I asked him this question. I said, why is it? At CDC and, and every state um, regulator recommends that, um, that pregnant women do not eat tuna fish to avoid the mercury, but that CDC is recommending mercury-containing flu shots with huge bolus doses of mercury, I mean massive doses, to pregnant women in every trimester of pregnancy. And he said to me... He said, um, well, Bobby, in this kind of patronizing way, and by the way, when I talked to Paul Offit, he started the conversation. He was very enthusiastic, and he said, you know, my, your father was my hero. The reason I got into public service and public health was because I was inspired by your father. So that kind of, you know, I'm susceptible, like anybody else, to kind of that kind of flattery. So I was inclined to like the guy. But then he said this. I asked him about how can you be, you know, telling people not to eat women, not to eat tuna fish, but giving them a flu shot that has, you know, these huge doses. And he said, well, Bobby, there are there's two kinds of mercury. There's a good mercury and there's a bad mercury. And the minute he said, and I knew there's a different kind of mercury in the vaccines. It's ethyl mercury in the vaccines and methyl mercury in the fish. But I know a lot of, by then you can imagine, I know a lot about mercury. I've been suing people. When you sue somebody, on, you get a PhD in that. You know more than anybody in the world. You have to or you're not going to win your lawsuit. So I knew a lot about mercury and I knew that his argument was not with me, but it was with the periodic tables because there's no such thing as a good mercury. And I also knew the history of why he was saying that because you know, mercury was added to vaccines in a form called thimerosal in 1932. And Eli Lilly, which was a manufacturer, was because people knew then that mercury was horrendously neurotoxic. Mercury is a thousand times more neurotoxic than lead. You would never get, shoot lead into your baby. Why was thimerosal introduced into It was allegedly introduced as a preservative, but it doesn't kill... Uh, it doesn't kill uh, streptococcus or any of the other contaminants you would be worried about. In fact, it kills brain cells at one thirtieth the dose that it takes to kill streptococcus or staphylococcus. Staphylococcus. So it wasn't a good preservative. Why? What NIH admitted to me in 2016, the real reason was there as an adjuvant. An adjuvant is a, a toxic material that they add to dead virus vaccines to amplify the uh, the immune response. So your body, when, when, I mean, this is kind of getting into the weeds, but a live virus vaccine, if they give it to you, it can spread the disease. It can mutate in you and spread the disease. 
That's why most of the polio today, 70% of the polio today is vaccine polio. That came from the vaccines. Um, but So the regulators expressed a preference for dead virus vaccines. The dead virus vaccine, however, will not produce a durable or robust immune response enough to get a license. The way you get a license for a vaccine is showing that you get an antibody response for a certain amount of time and that it's a strong antibody response. But the dead virus vaccine won't produce that. But vaccinologists figured out that if you add something horrendously toxic to the vaccine, that your body confuses that toxic product you add it with the dead antigen, which is the viral particle. The, your body confuses that toxin with the viral particle and gets frightened and mounts this huge, humongous immune response. The next time it sees that virus, the, the, the immune response is there. So they, at that point, vaccinologists went around searching around the world to find the most horrendously toxic materials to add to vaccines. And there's a mantra in vaccinology that the more toxic the the adjuvant, the more robust the immune response. And so that's why toxicologists and vaccinologists don't get along with each other. Because the toxicologists would say to the vaccinologists, well, I understand it gave you your immune response, but then what is the fate of that in your body? How many times have we been talking about this, guys? This is I'm going to play a clip about this in a moment from the recent FDA meeting where the guy, we've played this clip many times. Well, I know we've all talked about an immune response, but, you know, talking about the antibodies. And they go, well, we don't have a correlative for protection. That's what this is. They, as long as they can cause some kind of clinical on paper immune response, whether or not it's even the correct immune response, they argue it worked. Fauci even sort of admitted to that in one of these, one of these meetings. By the way, we were just recently censored on YouTube, like literally while we were just live. I think that's funny. I'm going to keep playing this for you, by the way. But for those watching... Mid show that rarely happens, but clearly we're hitting nerves with some of the stuff we're talking about today. So guess what, guys? It's already live on another show because that's how we're hitting nerves with some of the stuff we're talking about today. Ah, look at that because that's how pirate streams work because we have endless amounts of pirate stream channels and we're already back on YouTube. So hashtag screw YouTube, hashtag boycott YouTube. But anyway, back to the show. Where is it going? Is it being excreted? Is it being lodged in the brain? Is it penetrating the blood brain barrier? And the, the vaccinologists could not answer those questions and did not want to. So they basically moved the toxicologists out of these, you know, out of the vaccine, whole, the whole vaccine universe. Anyway, what, um, so when it was added in 1932, the industry said, Eli Lilly said, um, well, the reason, because everybody was saying, well, how can you put mercury into a child? Who would do that? And they said, well, it's a different kind of mercury. It's ethylmercury, and the ethylmercury is excreted very quickly, so it won't stay in your body. They had no science to say that, but that's what they were saying for years. And then in 2003, a CDC scientist called Picciero did a study where he gave tuna sandwiches that were mercury you know, contaminated to children, and they and then measured their blood and the mercury from the tuna sandwich was there half life 64 days later so it was still there 64 days and he injected the children with mercury from a vaccine and that mercury disappeared from their blood within a week and this kind of confirmed 
what Eli Lilly had said in 1932. Oh, it disappears really quickly from the body. And that was published, I, I believe, in the Lancer Pediatrics. But immediately, the journal began getting letters from people, including this famous scientist called Dr. Boyd Haley, who is the head of, he's the chair of that chemistry department of the University of Kentucky. And he said, what, but what happened to the mercury? Because Pidgeot couldn't find it in the children's urine or in their feces or in their hair or sweat or nails. So where is it? And then and NIH actually then commissioned a study. And they, because they, at that point, they were really trying to figure out, you know, whether this was dangerous. And they commissioned a very famous scientist called Thomas Burbacker up at the University of Washington, Seattle, to do a study with monkeys, with macaques. And he did the same study Pichiero did, but he did something you can't do with children, which he then killed the monkeys. And then he looked for the mercury, and what he found was the mercury, yes, it left their blood immediately. The ethyl mercury from the vaccines was gone from their blood in a week. The methyl mercury from the tuna fish was there two mu- a month later, two months later. <clears throat> but when he sacrificed the monkeys and did postmortems, he found that the mercury had not left their body. Instead, the reason it was disappearing from their blood is because ethylmercury crosses the blood-brain barrier much easier than mer- methylmercury. The ethylmercury from the vaccines was going directly to the brains of these animals. And there is a huge point that overlaps with one of the cruxes of everything we've talked about, the blood-brain barrier from the testing to Dr. Pilevsky spoke about how this is a problem with these previous ones. This is, seems to be a focus. So these studies are there. You can see, based on the science he's discussing, which we've talked about in the past, that there is a risk. Yet when the science finds the thing that's inconvenient to the narrative, well, that science is no longer scientific. Simple as that. And it was lodging there and causing severe inflammation. And, um, and you know, we now know it's there 20 years later. So... Um, what, you know, it's so, the, so when Burba went off and when I'm on the phone with Offit and I said, he said, the ethyl mercury is excreted quickly. And I said, how do you know that? And he said, because of the Pichiero study, uh, because the study by, uh, by Pichiero found that it was excreted quick in a week. And I said, but you're familiar with the Burbacker study that showed and that it's gone to the brain. And there was dead silence on the phone. Hmm. And then he said to me, kind of hemmed and hawed, and said, well, you're right. Uh, it's not that study. It's just a whole mosaic of studies. And oh I said, God. can you cite any for me? And he said, I'll send them to you. And he never did. That keeps happening. Same thing with Fauci. We'll get to the next one. But by the way, again, so this in real time, mid-video, which actually is pretty crazy. Removed for violating their policy on spam deceptive practices and scams man they're getting tired they don't even know what to categorize this as anymore is i thought it was misinformation oh, it was medical misinformation like it's just so effing sad <laughs> it's just youtube is such a failing platform it's just it's depressing but here's the new channel in case you guys want to jump over there but i don't know why you would be going on youtube anymore by the way but here's the next one spiro shared a great clip here this is when he met fauci and you'll find very interesting overlaps the same kind of game is being played, which the real obvious point to make here, guys, is there's no way you can see all of this and watch how this goes forward and not look back and go, okay, th- at the very least, there's something they're hiding. 
but I, it's just, it's dishonesty, right? You don't go, oh, I'll send them to you and then never follow up, pretend to look for something and then not find it. And then, so what, they, let's just say there's an honest a- engagement here and he brings it up and go, oh, what about the brain study? We're oh, well, I'll look at, they would look into it, wouldn't they? They'd find it, go, oh, looks like JFK is right. No, they, RFK is right. No, they didn't do that. They're still promoting these things. So he's aware of that, doesn't care. Yeah, th- these are bad people, guys. It does, there's no way around this. And this is why likely this video got taken down so fast and likely why they don't want you to hear this stuff. Are exempt from pre-licensing safety testing. They don't have to be tested, and they're not. He's talking about pretty much, every, I think, every vaccine on the market. And this is something that people don't understand that we've, we've been screaming about. A lot of us have for a long time. It's like, it goes all the way back to, not all, even before this, actually, but a prominent discussion of the MMR vaccine. Right. With Vaxxed and Del Bigtree and Andrew Wakefield and, and Brian Hooker and this very real inf- from the CDC. Brian was a whistleblower who literally told us that they burned evidence in a trash can within the building. And they never did. This is the truth, guys. The bottom line is the MMR vaccine. They had three of these together. and They never once tested these alongside each other, let alone tested Vaxxed versus unvaxxed for people that took it and did not. They still push back on this. Again, I'll always reference IPAC and James Lyons-Weiler, who did, in fact, do a vax versus unvax study. And lo and behold, dramatically obvious that the people that were unvaccinated entirely were dramatically healthier in every possible metric. But fake news, though. Right. So this is the truth. And it's easy to prove. And even Fauci put to the spot, just put him to the same thing Paul Offit did. I'll come back to you. Never did. And I said this for many, many years. You know, I said not one of these 72 vaccines has ever been tested. Pre-licensing in a placebo-controlled trial where you're looking at vaccinated versus unvaccinated kids and looking for at health outcomes. Never been done. And um, Tony Fauci was saying he's lying. He's not telling the truth. This is vaccine misinformation. In 2016, Donald Trump asked me to serve on a vaccine safety commission, and I agreed to do it. And I and he then ordered Fauci and Collins to meet with me and, you know, Peter Marks at FDA and all that. So I had meetings with all these guys. I actually went into that meeting with Fauci with uh, uh, with three people. One was Del Bigtree. Another one was Aaron Siri, the attorney and. Another one was Lynn Redwood, who's a, you know, a very, very famous nurse practitioner, public health um, official in Georgia. And during that meeting, there was a referee there from the White House, from the West Wing. And I said to Fauci, I gave kind of a lecture showing what we knew. And I said to him in the middle of it, I had a PowerPoint. I said, Tony, you have said any, by the way, uh, you know, he's known my family forever. And, you know, my uncle was chair of the health committee, writing his salary every year, everything else like that. So, and, you know, and very cooperative relationship with him. The, the, the two of the centers that are NIH are named for members of my family, for Eunice Shriver and my aunt, my grandmother. So, you know, I said to him, Tony, you've said, been telling people I'm a liar. When I say no vaccine has ever been, none of the mandated vaccines, what they call recommended, they're actually mandated in many of the states. I said none of them have ever been tested against uh, in a placebo-controlled trial in a safety test prior to, to licensure. And I said, can you show me one vaccine that has been subject to a safety test? Show me one study that shows that. And he made it this show of looking through a red well 
they had brought in from NIH this big tray full of file folders, and he made a, a show of kind of looking through that at the time, but he couldn't find whatever he was looking for. So then he said, it's back at NIH in Bethesda, and I'll send it to you. Well, he never did. So Aaron and I sued him, sued HHS, and, and said, show us one study that's ever been done on you know, pre-licensing safety testing for vaccines. And after a year of stone, stonewalling, they finally gave us a letter and said, we don't have any. So they, don't, they literally don't have any. So nobody knows what the risk profile for these products are. So they're telling people they, they, uh, they avert more harms than they, saw and than they cause. But there's no science behind that statement. It's just a, you know, it's just a guesswork. But and it's an amazingly effective narrative. And that narrative, the way it's spread through this country... Like I said, yes. it has gotten me, and I think it gets a lot of people, and that people are terrified of being called an anti-vaxxer. It's a, it's a very dismissive pejorative. It's a very bad term. And if someone calls you, like, oh, he's one of those. Yeah. And it's, a, it's a kind of amazing what they've done, especially in a world where we're very aware of the, the side effects that were hidden from the public with other drugs, whether it's opiates or whether it's Vioxx, or we're very aware that deception has taken place. Yeah, we are. But yet somehow we're not able to ask ourselves in the scientific and mainstream community whether or not that could be happening again. The point is they don't care. Some do, and if they do care, they're called conspiracy theorists. You see how that works out? So people quickly go, oh, I get it. So if I express my opinion about the truth, I'm suddenly not allowed to express it anymore, and I'll be kicked out of the club. So I'll just not say anything. People very quickly realize that. Now people are coming around again to realize, well, I can't just be silent. It's not going away, so I have to speak up. But by the way, we just got censored for the second time while live, by the way. That's now two channels. Oh, wait a minute. I guess they brought the other one back. That's now two channels. How funny. That's hilarious to me. So this was censored again. I'm re maybe they just realized they can't cut this out. They brought it back. I'm, I just think that's hilarious. Well, it, 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 I just looked and it was down. It said stream down, censored. Then it came back. Now we got it running on two channels. So who cares? Screw you too. But let's keep going. Think about how obvious this stuff is though, guys. What he's discussing is undeniable. Their, Fauci didn't find the thing he was looking for. He lied and never got back to him about it. How do you explain that? Right. They'll lie about. Yes, they are. OK, well, they're not, though. And we can prove that. So at what point do we actually break through with these people? And how many people out there involved in this are somehow unable to ask themselves, could he be right? And this is the kind of lunacy, like a Trump derangement syndrome, but around somebody like RFK, RFK derangement syndrome. That's what we're dealing with. First of all, this doctor just happens to go, really? Seems like an honest question. So am I getting this correctly? She says. Not one vaccine on the market has truly safe profile. None were tested against neutral placebo, saline, not even one. Is this true? Uh-huh. You could look it up. It's not hard to find out if you actually look at the... Like the point is, if you look through the NIH, it might be difficult, but you can find people like RFK, will, this will show you the studies, and you will find for yourself. There is no... And then on top of that, ask yourself why it's hard to find. If it was so commonplace, then they were all, wouldn't it be all over the NIH? You're not going to find them, guys, because it's not happening. But what's funny is that she follows up and goes, I'm reading the comments about this. And she goes, your response was helpful, but not con oh, uh, not condescending. I started to block some of the other accounts. So this is somebody who's just trying to go, "Is what do you think? And because it's such an aggressively controlled topic, they everybody in here is like attacking her 
for simply asking a question. You should know better. You're a doctor. Know better than what's correct. You see, people are afraid, desperate to be right, fighting for their two-party control. But the problem is that people are just lost. This person falls up and says, and this I, I agree with this, the medical consensus, in quotes, is that doing high-quality double-blind studies on vaccine safety is not ethical because, well, we know vaccines work, so giving some kids a placebo is purposely harming them. Think about the broken logic. That's the same as saying, we got to give them puberty blockers now because if we don't, 20 years from now, it's just, it's, it's broken logic. This is like saying we got to give them the injection during COVID because by not giving it them, we're, we're hurting them because COVID. But wasn't the study to find out whether or not, who cares, COVID? And then you're called irrational for pointing out logic. There's somebody else going, let's not forget that the VAER system they told us was there for our safety all these years, which there, nobody can dispute that. All this time, the whole point was theirs was there to keep you safe. We're watching it. We're watching for signals. Right? But now they scream that it's not valid. We can't consider it. It says it's not valid. Okay, well, then either that reveals that they never had a system to keep us safe. Oops. Or they're suddenly dismissing the system that's always been there. Your choice. I think we know it's the latter, but it says, so they gave us untested vaccines with an AE system designed to fail, but pretended it was good enough until they didn't want to acknowledge it. Now, I do think it's the, the, the first part that they, it's the signal's clear. They're just trying to hide that signal by pretending the system they've always told us is there to keep us safe is no longer valid, even though nothing changed. It's, it's, this is not hard to see. People are scared. And here's the kind of thing we get from a bunch of children out there that this responding to her general genuine question. Pretty much everything RFK Jr. says about vaccines is false. He's a cru- He's on a crusade. Evidence be damned. Says the completely, completely evidence-free comment. That's completely false. Everything he says you can prove for yourself. But you see, this is what the people are being told. Good boy, Ryan. You said what you were supposed to say. Have a cracker. That's what's happening. People all around him go, oh, good job, man. We see it too. This is the fake news progressing past the truth. Not hard to see. That doesn't mean every conspiracy theory is true. The point is that this is not hard to prove. But people like this Ryan Kirk guy and everybody else out there are quick to come in and just scream what they think makes them right. That's happening everywhere. Now, this brings us to the conversation about what's happening with Peter Hotez. And here's Joe Rogan calling him out, which is outstanding because I think Peter Hotez thought he had an ally in Joe Rogan. And Joe Rogan is, at least in this case, showing himself to be more interested in the truth. Now, what's funny is, by the way, he has me blocked, Hotez. Now, I just, I'm realizing it's not even blocked. He's blocked a lot of us, but it seems recently because of this, he's put himself on some kind of, like the bottom line is I can go over to a restricted, like a, a, a private page, and it still shows, limits their tweets. But I'm able to find it by other means, so I do have the tweets here. I'll show you in a second, I think right here. But this first one just says, and this is Peter Hotez, basically, pretending to engage with this acting like it's not a fair debate because what you're doing is threat. I think actually was this one. Let's remember what this is about. Not a small number of Americans lost their lives from anti-vaccine disinformation. I mean, again, how can you even quantify that? It's a completely subjective opinion. So because of just this nebulous disinformation that we're going to just say 200,000 people died because of that. And now he's saying, because Elon RFK are, they're causing more death and destruction by saying what they're saying. The truth. Obviously, that's my opinion, but I can prove that's correct. But he goes, this is a non-answer. 
I challenge you publicly because you publicly quote tweeted and agreed with that dog shit vice article. If you're really serious about what you stand for, you now have a massive opportunity to debate what will reach the largest audience. Now, anybody honest would go, absolutely. You could argue their, their stance is that debating an anti-vaxxer has no merit. Well, if clearly your point is that everyone's believing anti-vaxxers, at what point? That's what Joe Rogan said in an older, in an older interview. Shouldn't you take advantage and step up since you claim you're losing? He's dishonest. His arguments have been proven to be false. We just played that great clip by Matt Orfala where he's lying continually. I've always said it was a three-dose vaccine. I've always said it was a four-dose vaccine. I think five was always what we were going to go for. Just pathetic. Absolutely ridiculous. He's a clown. That doesn't mean he doesn't have scientific understanding. It doesn't mean he doesn't have credentials. He's still ridiculous. He's a liar. This is not my opinion. He's caught repeatedly lying, at the very least obfuscating what's currently going on to push the vaccine. Now, the point was, he follows up and says, I saw the tweet you deleted. He says, be serious, Joe. That's what you threw out for hunting buddies on a weekend. He's, but, oh, first of all, they're offering, he's like, I'll give you $100,000 to any charity you want if you come and d- debate RFK Jr. And then apparently everyone's chiming in, which I think is kind of silly, to be honest. I was almost going to put a tweet out that was like, I'll add $47 million to that number, seeing as how we all kind of realize that Peter's not going to do this. And everyone's, like, just, everyone's kind of going, I'll add 100000 I'll add 100000 Everyone's like, it's up to a million dollars now. I think we all know he's not going to do this. And so it's kind of like a, a false win for people to be like, I'll add my money to that that I don't have. <laughs> anyway, the point is, it's a lot of money circulating, people arguing. And he, he simply goes, oh, here's the tweet right here. If you're claiming it's misinformation, I'm offering you $100,000 of a charity of your choice to debate him. Anybody serious, I think, would take him up on that offer. But he goes, be serious, Joe. That's what you throw for your hunting buddies on a weekend. That's a pretty disgusting kind of statement. He goes, a $50 million endowment? Hmm? which you guys can easily afford. Not for me, though, <laughs> but but we can continue low-cost patent-free vaccines for the world's poor. That's so gross. Like, And that's why he deleted this. That So you're asking for more money? <laughs> that's disgusting. This guy, I just can't get past what... This guy gives me a gross feeling in general. That's personal, obviously, but I mean, they, these people are lying. Now, what's happening, actually, is he's turning this down. And he has tweets that he'd already deleted that, that Joe Rogan already pulled, called out where he's calling these people, he's calling them all fascists. Like, this is just clumsy. I think they realize they're losing the information war. Here's something that just happened that I, by the way, I do not advocate or support going to people's homes and, you know, this kind of thing, because that will be used against us, whether or not you think it's justified. It will be used against us. And this will be framed as, you know, harassment or terrorist activity. That's what they're going to call it. But either way, I think it's important for the conversation. This person... When I think it's at his home, it caught him off guard and asked him this question. I just think it's interesting the way he responds. Hey. Oh, are you Peter Hotez? I am. Hey. Nice to meet you. How are you? Hey. So why are you not like going to debate uh, RFK on Joe Rogan's podcast? Oh, come on. That's harassing. I'm just, I'm just curious. What? Oh, it's, it's harassing, is it? You know, it's not harassing to, to call us terrorists, to try to put people in prison for, for claiming that things are right when we know that they're correct and have peer-reviewed science to prove it. Or, you know, all these things are pushing injections that you damn well know are hurting people, right? Oh, but you're harassing me. Again, I'm not advocating for any of this. I just think it's kind of a hypocritical thing to say. I no, no, nothing I, hostile, just curious. I haven't said anything one way or the other. I mean, are you planning on doing it? Uh, you know, I just he just invited me, so we'll see. And I think you should, though. Uh, well, we'll give it some, we'll give it some time. Okay. okay. And what do you have to say to people who think they're vaccine injured? Anything for them? I don't come to my house. I mean, do you have anything to say to people that... Right, don't come to my house, right? I mean, but he is personally responsible for people losing jobs, 
people lose have it losing their children. Right? It's just it just seems kind of like you know, all safe behind your gate, right? But you have no problem pushing your ideology and actions on people elsewhere for their opinions based on science. I think do you have anything to say to people? Yeah. I mean, do you think vaccine injuries are real, Peter? Peter, it's just a question. Interesting. Here is a clip of RFK Jr. addressing specifically Peter Hotez on uh, with with uh, Stephen Kirch. Do you think will happen first? Will Peter Hotez be on VSRF or will Bobby Kennedy be on CNN? Of those two possibilities. Well, Steve, you know, I don't make predictions. <laughs> I'm not going to guess about that, but um, uh, you know, that's, it's a sad thing. Peter won't come and talk to you and he won't talk to me. And Joe Rogan has asked him repeatedly, why don't you debate Robert Kennedy? And he says to Joe Rogan, well, you know, he's a cunning lawyer and he knows how to do debates. And I'm not, you know, I'm just a poor, humble physician. and I, I don't know how to do that. So ultimately, that answer is he'll win. And I can't I'm, he'll be he'll, he's better at debating. Well, that doesn't necessarily sound the way I think he wants it to. Right. Um, but uh, the truth is that his the, the, the positions he's advocating cannot be defended. And you don't have to be a good debater to punch holes in them. And that's the problem is if you don't, you know, if you don't talk to people, you, um, you know, it's not, it's tyranny. It's not, it's not democracy. It definitely is not science. Science is about, uh, about erecting hypotheses and then chipping away at them with, you know, with new explanations that, that give better, um, that make more coherent and sensible explanations of the facts as they evolve and as we know them. And it, you can't just freeze science and say, an expert said this is so, therefore nobody can challenge it for the rest of time. That is not science, that is religion. And, you know, Peter is exactly. a high priest of vaccinology. He is not defending science, he's defending religious faith based based beliefs in a reality that he chooses to believe in, but has no basis in, you know, science or evidentiary or empirical evidence. You mean, guys, this is exactly, this is the technocratic world. This is what we're talking about. That is, it's a scientific elite. Now, elitists, really, they're not better than you. They they think they are, so they're elitists. But the point is, that's what we're staring at. This is a society of people. This is, we've talked about this for a long time. There's been even like, I think Jason Burmas and I just talked about Technocracy Inc. And this, you know, the discussion of this movement that came up was that they decided that they should shift from politics into a scientific and, and engineering elite. They know better than you, right? That's the idea. And you could even possibly argue that it stemmed from something that they, they something positive. I don't, I don't think I agree. I believe that. But maybe at the time they were like, well, we just are like at the time, maybe you could just argue that they realized the politicians were ruining the country. They said, well, let's scientists are smarter and they have, you know, more objective and blah, blah, blah. But then what happened? (laughs) Science and all of it got co-opted by the same politics and the same nonsense. The point is that we're watching that thing happen today where these people are beyond argument, beyond scientific discussion as they then point at what they nebulously say is the science. And people who are standing up and going, well, let's debate it. 
Let's let's talk about this. Not some fringe conspiracy theory in their mother's basement, but a wildly prominent presidential candidate. But yet this guy's like dismissive. Oh, I was a random anti-vaxxer. I mean, this is why they're losing control of this, because this is indefensible. It's embarrassing. Now, I recently put or, uh, this was on the, uh, December 2022. I put this out a while ago. I'm not going to play it again just because it's not worth it. The guy debunks himself. But the point is, here he is on Joe Rogan all the way back then, where he is defending vaccines and, 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 you know, pharmaceuticals. But then when Joe asks him basic health questions, he admits he doesn't eat healthy, admits that he doesn't. I mean, he's not actually a healthy person. He's overweight. His teeth are brown and disgusting. Now, I'm not saying this to be mean. The point is that this is a problem, guys. This is a guy... He was trying to tell you to be healthy by taking things that are chemicals that are hurting your body. When you can prove that people who have teeth like that, that is dangerous. I'm not being hyperbolic. My mother used to work at a dentist's office. The point is, as a manager, she ran the place. The point is they understand that these kind of things, gum disease, parodontal disease, this is a huge, this leads to systemic inflammation. It's dangerous. Now, that's not to say that he's necessarily about to die. The point is that that shows you an utter lack of understanding or care for general health. But I guess you can just take a vaccine to make your teeth better. No, the point is vaccines are not the answer. Now, if you want to do it, you think it's right. Go ahead. That's your choice. That's my stance. It always has been. You can decide for yourself. But a government thinks otherwise. <laughs> the government must decide for you and tell people like this or tell you that people like this know better. Right. We can point to the health individual, the, the secretary of the HHS of our country, who is clearly not a healthy person or the health minister of Germany, who seems to be 300 pounds. These people are not healthy, guys. They're going to call that bigoted somehow, but that's just simply the truth. So here he is telling Joe Rogan in this clip that he's not actually understanding or caring, whichever way you want to look at it, health. What he's pushing is pharmaceutical intervention. And as I said, you should feel as stupid as you made yourself look in this interview. You're not a health professional. You're a pharma professional. We see you. Now, here's Kevin McKernan following up to this tweet now again it's blocked so i can't see it you know on the other part but this is what he says in response to this tweet he says this is a display of asymmetric logic right a very intelligent phd who of course peter hotes will never engage with because he knows he can't win the argument the point is he utterly exposes this broken logic what he's saying is death two weeks after vaccine according to Hotez and the arguments he's making, is just a coincidence. Now, we already talked about the 14 to 21 day time period where they dump it all back in unvaccinated. That's included there. But the death after two weeks is just a coincidence. So it must be unvaccinated, right? But people who didn't take an injection that didn't stop transmission is assumptive. It's a causative. That's, that's a COVID death. We know it. So that, as he's pointing out, is asymmetric Logic. It's, it's, it's not complete. You're basically creating a narrative where the logic that applies on one side does not apply on the other. It's hypocritical, period. Dose response is a Bradford Hill tentative causality. Now, we've already shown you this. We're going to get into this in a minute about the breakdown of how the new science currently is showing you yet again, the more shots you have, the more at risk you are. But don't trust the science. Trust the science. Yeah, doesn't make sense, does it? Because both of those things are, are being said and one side means one, one means the other. What I'm saying is continue to engage with the evolving understanding of the scientific literature around this conversation and evolve your opinion based on new information. What they're saying is trust what we're saying and ignore everything else. Now here, 
is Kevin's presentation. It's very, it's not too long. I just want to play this for you. I think this is very important. He's, he's breaking down the DNA contamination inside these injections that have been seen in multiple locations around the world by some of the highest level people in this conversation. Doctorates, PhDs, and yet nobody's talking about it outside independent media. It just shows you how really lost and dangerous all of this is. Let's get this lined up. 458.45. Now we've done these a lot. Remember that a lot of people can speak at these. It doesn't mean because they're speaking that it necessarily means that it's correct or however you want to look at it. But every time we know these FDA meetings end up showing things. Why does that not look right? Oh, there it is. Right? This is where we've shown people like Stephen Kurtz speak up and explain how dangerous these things are. The point is that often the FDA people themselves resign in protest when they go forward with something they don't think is correct. And it happens anyway. So here is Stephen, Kevin McKernan pointing this stuff out for the FDA, and then they don't care. Imprinting allow Americans to get a variation of a primary series of Novavax when we change variants. Allocate next-gen funding and reassess trial recruitment criteria to expedite Not Novavax, right. bring a pediatric vaccine to market. Come Remove on. the regulations. Of this SV40 promoter, which was not. Damn it. I don't I hate the way this jumps. Damn it, I'd have to listen to all that again. ...into my shot, discovered that the expression vectors for the vaccines are still in the vials. Uh, I looked at this in over a dozen vials, uh, and it appears that this expression vector is above the EMA guidelines and the FDA guidelines. Uh, You can see this in this preprint that's described here. Next slide. We just showed you that, by the way. As a a refresher, there's two different processes that have been discussed in this BMJ article. The clinical trials were run on process one, which uses in vitro transcription off of synthetic DNA, but they switched to process two for a scale-up, which used E. coli to amplify plasmids, and those plasmids are what still remain in the vials, and we're not within the clinical trial. Next slide. Uh, This is another depiction of this process. You can see getting plasmids out of these E. coli is is a challenge and can sometimes uh, lead to residual plasmids inside the vaccines. Next slide. Uh, These are the expression vectors that we discovered on the left in the Pfizer vaccines. They also exist in the Moderna vaccines, but they're a little bit different. The Pfizer vaccines specifically have this SV40 promoter, which was not disclosed in the expression vector map that was given to the FDA. uh, I'm sorry, the EMA, but the expression uh, vector has a 344 base pair promoter with a nuclear localization signal known as this SV40 promoter. Next slide. Uh, so we went to verify this by designing quantitative PCR assays that target the spike sequence and the vector sequence. Uh, next slide. Uh, and this work demonstrated that uh, with even a 1 to 100 dilutions, you could get CTs of 22 for the DNA that's in these vials for the vector, which is not part of uh, what should be in these vials. Uh, we did this in triplicate across eight vials. It's very consistent, and they are over the EMA and the FDA's uh, limits. Next slide. The EMA has a ratiometric limit that looks at RNA to DNA ratios, and you can measure, you should expect an 11.5 CT offset between the spike and between the vector. What we see is only 5 to 7 CT difference, which means there's an 18 to 70 fold over the limit of the 330 nanogram per milligram uh, recommended by the EMA. Next slide. Uh, you can readily uh, assay this in any other lab around the world now. If you put these vaccines directly into quantitative PCR, you can get CTs as low as 17. Uh, this is very important to know because COVID was diagnosed with CTs less than 40, which is a, over a million-fold higher uh, contamination being injected than what you might get from a nasal swab. Next slide. 
Uh, we know these vials uh, were these vials were sent to us anonymously in the mail, so we do not have the cold chain. However, we can measure the RNA integrity by putting them on electrophoresis systems, and we do not see a substantial difference in the RNA integrity from the vials that we received versus what's been published about these in the past. There's an, there's an important point to make here. First of all, you should fair to argue that seeing as how there was somebody anon- somebody sent these who clearly, I mean, we would assume works with the industry and is concerned but doesn't want to be fired, so sends these out to somebody like him to be able to discuss it. But that could be fake, right? We can't prove that. It is exactly the same thing. But what is happening is other places around the world are confirming the same research, which we already talked about. But the the main point is about the expiration. That, you know, one of these, these you know, like it's like the new Z-Dog MD kind of nonsense people that are just out there debunking the narratives for the government when we can prove that they're half the time completely wrong, but they're just trusting the science like a good scientist should or how they tell you. This debunk the funk is one of these people out there who comes out and says, oh, it's expired. You're falling for the same trick. Well, he goes into it right here and explains why that's not a problem. But if you want to argue what he says here is fake, that's go ahead but they're not even engaging with his explanation of it. They're just going, expired, fake news, move along. Next uh, next slide. Uh, various people on Twitter have now begun to, re- to reproduce this. Uh, in addition, I'd point to the EMA's documentation uh, where they have an 815-fold variance across 10 lots uh, of d- double-stranded DNA contamination uh, documented in the EMA process. Uh, next slide. Uh, there are some risks to this. There is double-stranded DNA can create interferon responses, and Keith Pettin at the FDA has done great work demonstrating the, the risks of DNA integration into the genome if these things are in, in, in vaccines. Next slide. The call to action here is all of these primer sequences are now public and people are downloading them and trying to reproduce this work. You can reproduce this work in 60 minutes with a microliter of the vaccine, which is one three hundredth of a dose for less than $10. I encourage everyone to try and do this to understand what we have at foot. I will note we did not measure any of the bad lots that are in the Schmeling et al. paper that demonstrated high adverse events in certain lots. We were measuring what seemed to be normal lots. Next slide. Thank you for your time and consideration. Great. Thank you. I think it's important what he's what he's showing you guys. So fall, I've shown you the studies in the past. Oh, and then the the last one was this one. Just very quickly, this is very interesting to me, Mr. McKernan, for your prison. This is the same point we were making before about the admission. What is it? Six oh five fifty six. About it's the same guy asking the same question. By the way, about correlative of of, of protection. Over to you, Doctor Monta. Thank you, Dr. Weir. Very comprehensive and uh, clear presentation to put us uh, ready for our later discussion after we have some questions. And I see Dr. Levy has his hand raised. Thank you for that uh, efficient review, Dr. Weir, a, a lot of information you're taking into account. Uh, this topic has brought, been brought up several times before, but um, what is FDA's current view of what the correlative protection is uh, to protect against coronavirus infection and disease? Um, is there any uh, position of FDA in terms of asking sponsors moving forward to collect more T-cell data? Do you want in future meetings to be summarizing those kind of data? Three and a half years in, and we're still only focusing on antibody response, not T-cell, not RB, because it's not happening. There is no respiratory, there's no mucosal immunity even coming taking place. Three and a half years. They know this, guys. We're being lied to. Uh, as well, uh, these these are, are, are questions um, 
uh, for you as you uh, summarize immunogenicity considerations. Thank you. Okay. So to take them one at a time, um, I'm not sure that there is a unified view of correlates of protection. Great. So everyone makes up their own opinion of it. and We all just get to shuffle them, but they tell you safe and effective no matter what. How can there not be a static correlate of a protection? If you get this kind of response, that equals this kind of protection because you're being experimented on. Uh, I think you've seen the data that's been presented that, in general, neutralizing antibody correlates with protection. That in general. does not mean that there is some threshold that we can identify that says that this level you are protected. You know what that means? We don't know. Make sure you understand that. We don't know. So just because you're producing an antibody response doesn't mean that it's actually protecting you. That's what this very same guy said the last time. And again, they go, well, obviously, we don't have a full understanding of the way this vaccine worked. That's what they actually said before. We're still there. Uh, most of those studies were done early in infection when, Om- when not Omicron, when Wuhan and Wuhan-like viruses circulated. Uh, whatever the correlates of protection were then are probably not the same as they are now. And a- but I guess we just go forward anyway. So we're using Wuhan data when they're telling you it's so different, we need entirely new injections. And yet pretending that the cordial of protection that they had in the beginning is the same, or at least that it's safe and protective, safe and effective now. There's nothing about this that's honest or scientific, guys. We are being manipulated. It's just right on the surface. And that's why people let, that are experts and willing to be honest about this are screaming at the top of their lungs. If I mentioned in one slide, I think correlates of protection for antibody probably almost assuredly vary from platform to platform. Oh, great. So now we don't even know based on in between individual injections. But don't they just blanket say they're all safe and effective? How does that make sense? Uh, again, today at this meeting, we're using neutralizing antibody as a measure for something that informs strain selection. Ah, Great. Great. So all the FDA cares about is making sure we identify the best strain that we can focus on. Is that what they're supposed to be doing? I thought they were supposed to keeping you safe. I guess that's secondary, if, if at all, on the table. Uh, ideally, of course, one would love a correlate of protection that one could point to and flash up a slide that says it's this level of antibody. Or it's- You see, the point is, guys, I'm, you could argue all this makes sense with a pandemic and that we're operating at the speed of science, whatever that stupid statement means. Fine, good. I would go fine. That's great. Until you start forcing it on people. So all of this is a conversation becomes relevant when you realize that from the beginning until now, they're still pressuring people, even though they barely understand if that's even the reality of the situation. This level of something else. I don't think we're there yet. Uh, although, again, there yet. a lot of people have different opinions about that. Great. Um, so three years in and we're still debating this stuff. How do you think that makes safe and effective? I think the second part of your question was, what do we, how do we feel about T-cell analysis? I would love to be standing here next year and telling you that we have more information about. Oh, good. So just give it another year and then we'll maybe understand if it gives you full natural immunity, full immunity. Meanwhile, natural immunity has continued to show lasting, durable and robust T-cell memory being an antibody production in most people that have never even had the virus. Work that out for yourself. That's a peer reviewed study, but you know, fake news. Here he is saying this all the way back then. We already showed you this before. How should we think of micrograms in terms of the amount of spike protein that's produced by the cells? Can you kind of clarify that? Obviously, we don't have a complete understanding of the nature of the way that the vaccine works in terms of producing immune response. That's actually the wrong one, but that one's still important. So he's admitting there that we don't even fully understand 
how it translates into the immune response. We just simply see an immune response. That's in their own documentation. He literally said it on the record. Here is the same person asking all, in, in one of these earlier meetings years ago. Like it was a year and a half ago or so about, no, a year ago. It's bivalent. And then can you repeat the, the second question? I do. I mean, obviously you have a lot of data now. What is your correlative protection is? Everybody's measuring antibodies. They're probably relevant. But as we know, that's a long question. We need a quick answer. And he gets cut off, of course. I would say there is no established correlate of protection. So the point is what he got cut off in saying was everyone's measuring antibody response, but we th- he's going to go on to make a point to say, well, na- we know natural immunity includes T-cell. Be- they all know this stuff, guys. It's just amazing that we're being misled from the top. Now, in the interest of time, I want to show you a couple of things. I'll, 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 the videos we can play later. But Dr. Peter McCullough put this out recently about over discussing about whether the spike, actually, I will play this one. It's a shorter one about whether the spike protein leaves your body. All right. So realizing what they're talking about, these injections, that's what they're putting in your body and telling you, well, we don't even know how it works properly. We, we see in a response. Well, is that response simply producing spike proteins that later go on to hurt you? Uh-huh. That's correct. That's what the spike proteins, are they there forever once they're in your body? Work by Bruce Patterson at Incel DX is the best work we have available. In severe COVID, Severe COVID, people hospitalized, he was able to find the S1 segment stuck in white blood cells for 15 months after the infection. After the vaccinated, he's been able to find the full-length spike protein, the S1 and the S2 segment, again stuck in white blood cells for at least nine months. But that's as long as he's looked. A paper from Stanford from Roken and colleagues has found the messenger RNA, which is the genetic code for the spike protein, stuck in lymph nodes at two months, but that's as long as they've, they've looked. So I can tell you, both the messenger RNA and the spike protein are long-lasting in the human body, probably months, if not years. God, it's just so, it's just so insulting, right? I mean, we, we've talked about this exact conversation so many times about whether it's the mRNA or the spike protein, And how, yeah, they very clearly do end up in your blood and your body in general. But yet the Red Cross continues to argue that they don't label these because it doesn't go in your bloodstream. That's still what they're arguing to this day. So you must understand, these are bodies that do not care about the science. That's the level we're at. There's no debating the peer-reviewed science up to 28 days in this one. mRNA sequence is circulating your body. We found spike protein in every body. We found lipid nanoparticles in almost every organ. These people are pathetically hiding from what they're doing. They're killing people. At the very least, they're hurting people. At the very least, they're lying to people. Nobody seems to care. He's pointing out, Dr. McCullough, that we should reject mRNA in livestock because genetic, genetic vet, veterinary vac- vaccines not needed. Transference to humans has not been ruled out. I think it's a very important thing we have to continue to study. Now, here's a, a presentation at the Better Way Conference where she's making this exact point. This is something that we need to consider. Could this occur with livestock that's vaccinated with this technology? And could that possibly affect humans? And it's not a trivial question because we actually know that drugs, vaccines, for instance, are withdrawn from animals nearly a month after vaccination. They're withdrawn in the sense that animals cannot be used for, for human consumption if a month hasn't gone by. And again, I remind you that the information we have in terms of biodistribution is based on mice. And humans and other animals, including livestock, have very different metabolisms, much slower metabolisms. So, so this can actually affect what, how, how long these vaccines will persist in livestock. We don't know that. 
And the, the Codex Alimentarius, the World Health Organization, the FAO, they all have very specific and very strict views in terms of carryover of drugs for humans. This is really so It's very important to understand the pharmacokinetics of these agents that they're putting. That is actually their, their words, not mine. And despite that, not a single study on the, the minimum aspect of toxicity and aspects of pharmacokinetics have been carried out for these vaccines in livestock in terms of how that can impact humans. I mean, just so you understand what she's saying, everything before this, before COVID-19, of course, COVID-19 vaccine changed everything, right? The point is that before this, they were very clear barriers and timeframes about after injections where they said, well, we can't just use the, we have to let a time pass before we're allowed to harvest them for meat, let's say. So they know this stuff, right? But somehow magically during COVID-19 land, this is somehow misinformation, fake news. Well, the science is clearly there. They're the ones that set these metrics. Now, suddenly, this doesn't apply. I mean, the only way you can wrap that into your mind is when you realize, for some crazy reason, they want this to end up in your body. I mean, that's my—that's the way I would look at this. But you explain for me how they can just pretend and somehow the entire industry can just magically forget that they've always had these standards. There's something so incredibly nefarious in all of this when we can see that the people are being scared into silence. Not a single one. So very similar to what happened for these vaccines, the COVID vaccines in humans that are that are actually paraded as they have very high levels of safety. We have done very limited studies in terms of biodistribution. Most studies have been done in mouse models. As I said, these are not valid. In terms of interactions with cellular cells of foreign material, genetic material, only two studies have been done in human cells in vitro. And we have absolutely no information in terms of the stability and persistence of these products in milk and in meat and the transfer, the possibility of transfer to humans. So I hope that what was actually posted on, on a website in animal health doesn't happen. I hope we don't eradicate animal health. I hope we don't eradicate animals. This is actually something that's quite serious. And I'm going to finish my presentation with some words of quote by William Lawrence, a conservation biologist, who says, we're like a two-year-old playing with fire. We're messing around with something really dangerous, and we don't really understand what will happen. Mm -hmm. That is what the way we are, the position we're in, in that now with these vaccines, this technology for livestock. And I thank you for your attention. Well, think about the very alarming overlap of the same thing being said about the transgender movement. And that coming from the lead, some of the leading experts saying where they were, were building the plane while flying it. Weirdly, in this completely separate conversation, the same thing's happening. Yeah, because it's pretty clear to me that this is not separate. However you want to hear that. There's so much going on. This is something much larger. Dr. Peter McCullough is also pointing out that Australia is trying to use lumpy skin disease as a theor theor uh, theoretical future threat to cattle. In order to usher in mRNA vaccines. So you see my point? They're just manufacturing reasons to do this. There's something wrong here. When the traditional ones, as he says, works fine. You can disagree with that. Either way, the rationale is that we need it now. He calls for a ban on all of these. Bernie's tweets points out. Again, these are the things that they're, they're pointing at. New theoretical future diseases to justify where we're going. Well, weirdly, same time. The UK, world's deadliest diseases are coming to the UK because of climate change. You know, the, the non-distinguishable changes in temperature they claim are completely catastrophic that are somehow managing to create new viruses. It's just so irrationally illogical. Mosquitoes and ticks carrying viruses, you know, most of which were completely engineered by the government, which we can literally prove. Look up Plum Island and the 
government research on actually using ticks as carriers of bioweapons. But, you know, we're conspiracy theorists because people who hear that will never look into the obvious provable evidence that's coming directly from their own website. But, you know, fake news. They're saying, oh, my God, death rates will be up to 50 percent. What will be this weird, hypothetical, undefinable thing that will come tomorrow? This is unbelievable fear mongering. Her point is they're warning of the world's deadliest diseases because climate change. Well, here's Miriam, the bee lady, pointing something important out. How many of you have heard about the Global Virome Project? Discover Spillover, the first of its kind, open source tool to evaluate risk and rank newly discovered wildlife viruses in terms of those zoonotic spillover and pandemic potential. I wonder if this will play a prominent role in going, it's about to happen. We discovered a new one that's going to be out tomorrow. Oh, and by the way, ever heard of these groups that seem to work and fund them? Oh, look at that. USAID, a classic false flag Trojan horse operation. On the record, these people have said they do today what the CIA used to do in clandestine fashion 50 years ago. That's an open open statement by people at the USAID. That's what they do. This is regime change tactics. They are not honest from the core level of what their mandate is. We also just talked with Dr. Peter McCullough about the endocrine disrupting chemicals, the overlap of the COVID injection being one of them. Not hard to prove. Dioxins, PFAS, hormones in your food, all of these things based on the science, the peer-reviewed science that I showed in this article or this study or in this show, in some cases, without doubt, is causing gender dysphoria. So you can verifiably say that in some cases, the, the chemicals in our food, water, and air, the COVID injections, what they're doing to your food, all of this is leading to causing the very thing they then called gender dysphoria, which they then used to push the next agenda. Kenoa the Great points out, a confidential Pfizer document dated August 2022 shows the company observed 1.6 million adverse events covering nearly every organ system. Great post. Here's the actual article. Their pharmacovigilance documents, which you can read for yourself. They're linked right in this document. They found 508,000 individual cases of adverse events containing over 1 million, well, 1.5 million events. One third of them were classified as serious. Interesting that we're not told about this, right? The point is, this is the same as pointing at this study, or the one I showed earlier. Oh, I, I think I already closed it. But the, the point was that 36% increase. Or, you know, I mean, all, all, this is a good example as well, that their own trial showed you a 36% increase in risk just by taking the injection. That's what this is actually about. They knew this. They covered it up. Here's the document. If you want to comb through it for yourself, you'll be surprised if you think we're lying. Dr. Claire Craig points out the FDA knew that there had been total vaccine failure against infection, which is what the EUA was for in September 2021. Think what happened afterwards. Vaccine passports. No jab, no job. Aimed at your kids. None were justified. The point is they knew this. Same point. Wittgenstein points out, baffling. We're so confused. Heart disease stores 13,000% among the vaccinated. This is CDC data, guys. Read it for yourself. But we're baffled, though. We're baffled about why. You mean baffled that the injection data that we just discussed literally shows an increase in cardiac problems, but then we're confused about how that represents as cardiac problems and those that take the injections? I mean, that's called willful ignorance. Oh, and here's an example of that not happening at all. You think Macron doesn't see that? Look, the only way you don't acknowledge that happening is when you're somehow primed to ignore it. 
a person collapsing, especially somebody who's trained to be a guard like this that doesn't even move, like in England, you, that's a shocking thing to see. And not only that, that they so they immediately drag him to the side because he's collapsing. Now, yeah, you could argue he's tired. You could argue he's dehydrated. I'm sure they've said all of that. But in a time when we've never seen more of this happening live and random clips like this, we need to realize that something's going on. Now, Chief Nerd points out another study that backs up what we were just talking about. The reality from June 12, 2023. Yes, on preprint. The CDC has recently defined being up to date, which, by the way, it's a story in and of itself. We keep we we've told you throughout this whole process this was going to keep happening, right? One shot, two shot, three shot, four, five, six, seven. You're not up to date until you get what we tell you is up to date. So they just move the bar from being fully vaccinated to just whatever we say is currently up to date, right? So what they said is they've redefined that now to now, as we told you they would, being at least one bivalent. You mean the bivalent shot? The bivalent shot that they've also realized by the BMJ that is completely dangerous? Uh-huh. <laughs> they don't care. They just need You need that one too, apparently. The purpose of the study was to compare the risk of COVID-19 among those up-to-date to those not up-to-date. Now, of course, you compare this to people not vaccinated at all, and it would be even more obvious, and we'll show you that one next. The point, though, is Obviously, they found what you might expect. The cumulative incidence of COVID-19 was, in fact, lower in the people that weren't up to date. Now, you could argue that's because the bivalent was super dangerous. Well, if that's the case, then why are they still pushing it? Not being up to date with COVID vaccine was associated with a lower risk of COVID. So the less injections, the lower the risk. Results were very similar in those over 65 who they claim up to date needed two bivalent shots. My God, this is about as ridiculous as it gets. This is the one we recently showed you. Right. This is June 2023. The one that came out as a preprint and they all screamed as a preprint and now has been peer reviewed. And now they pretend it's not there because that's trusting the science. Right. The risk of COVID-19 was increased with time since the most recent shot, but also with the number of vaccine doses previously received. You just can't misunderstand that. In general. The more you take, the higher the risk. A net harm. To stop one hospitalization, this is what, oh, this is actually higher. I take it back. I thought the numbers were different. He was saying 20,000 RFK, that 31 to 42,000 people need to get three shots. Okay, maybe I forget what he was saying, one or two. Either way, it's the same discussion. Upwards of 42,000 kids need to get three different shots to stop one hospitalization, which will cause almost 19 serious adverse events. And that is what you call a net harm. Do not use them. You know that in it, your own study showed you a 36% increase and we're being lied to about it. We know that a peer-reviewed study from 2022 found everything we're seeing. That yes, it causes promost, er, uh, sustained synthesis of the spike protein. The lie they said, they said that doesn't happen. Yes, it's neurotoxic and impairs DNA mechanisms. Yes, that's happening. They said it wasn't. Vaccines potentially cause increased risk of infectious diseases. They increase your risk of illness. Their own data shows this. All of this stuff is true. And yet, the European Union is today recommending these injections for kids under five years old. You just can't make sense of that unless there's something really, really wrong here. The Supreme Court of Canada is not even hearing a case of a dying person because they're unvaccinated. They've been denied an organ transplant, which is why they're dying or they were struggling anyway, but now they're in a place to get it and they won't even hear the case because they're unvaccinated. This is where we're at. These are the moral people.
right? The science, the, the technocrat. These are the ones you should listen to. No, these are disgusting, terrible, bad people who are letting somebody die because of their smug, petty perspective or because they're too dumb to realize they're wrong. And at the same time, guys, as we just showed you, the FDA advisors are now raising doubts about the seasonal version they want to go in. How much you want to bet it happens anyway, just like every other time. Here's the last couple points I want to make on this. Realize that this is an information, uh, a, a, a this is a information coming out from within the UK discussion. We already know this, by the way. This has already been shown by other discussions, but you can read this. What they're saying is. We told you you needed to do all these things, social distancing, wearing a mask. But within their own offices, number 10, we didn't do it. It wasn't enforced. It says whether we should be wearing masks was told that the science advice was not was there was no point and it had very little effect on the spread of COVID. So as the UK was screaming, you were going to go to prison if you didn't. They were going, yeah, it doesn't really matter. We already know this, though. We already caught them. To be, and then it even goes on to say to be mindful of the cameras outside. And we also saw that where they would pretend to put the mask on, right? This is as clear as it gets. Now, last point, as Wittgenstein points something out, new COVID vaccine funded by Microsoft, Skycovion, was just approved. Now, I want to make a point to just demonstrate our value on the way out. If you've been watching this show, this was posted, this, 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 what, this was a uh, posted on the 17th. Not, not, not from Wittgenstein, but from the, the, the corporate media slash independence is now circulating the conversation in the last couple of days. Had you been watching The Last American Vagabond, you would have heard about this on the 9th. That's it. That we're ahead of the story. That we are always doing our due diligence and cutting these things out long before they're even allowed to be discussed. Oh, damn it. I put sane. Son of a gun. Now, the point, though, is that we are always going after this stuff, guys. And if you support this platform, we will do our best to keep you informed long before these things even trickle through the independent media. We're in a bad way, but we are making strides. We are taking strides in the direction of truth. And it's because of you guys. So thank you for being here and thank you for continuing to fight for us because we will continue to fight for you. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.